0: This is it by Huey Lewis from 1984. Uh, Actually, it's the 30th anniversary of the album that was from called Sports, which was Huey Lewis' biggest album. I was actually a big Huey Lewis fan in the 80s. And uh, actually, someone asked in the chat room what happened to Huey Lewis. Believe it or not, he's kind of still around and just had a tour uh, with his whole band uh, throughout the United States for the 30th anniversary of Sports. I, I almost went to one of them, but I was unable to make it. But anyway, uh, no significance to the song, I just felt like playing it, and uh, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends show. Tonight, I don't have any friends. Tonight I'm by myself, but uh, you never know who will join me. Sometimes we get people joining me on the show as co-hosts as the show goes on. So if you've co-hosted before, or if you would like to co-host and haven't before, let me know. You can send me a message in the chat room which is on PokerFraudAlert.com, and uh, just uh, go in there, You know, click chat. You need an account on PokerFraudAlert.com to chat. I will be reading the chat room as much as possible during the show, but of course it's a little bit tough for me to read everything when I'm doing everything, when it's me all by myself, but I'll try. If you want to call into the show, we do have a call-in number. We actually have two call-in numbers. The first number is 775 fraud 55 775-372-8355. Make sure to show your caller ID by either dialing star 82 before, or just find a way to do it with whatever method you're using to call me, or, or... You can also call the Mount Charleston phone number. I have a 702 phone number, which is not Las Vegas. It's actually Mount Charleston. It's an old 70s phone, sits on top of the mountain, and it forwards over here. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. I see Seriously Serious in the chat one of the popular rotating co-hosts who uh, sometimes... Joins the show, but he hasn't been a co-host on this show since he got his job at Bluff. And I understand, you know, that they may have rules against that. And of course, real jobs come first before fake jobs, like being a co-host on this show. But if he would like to be a co-host, of course, he's welcome. Otherwise, I'll do it myself. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys tonight. We're not going to have a really long show. And uh, that is because somebody needs to watch my son, Benjamin... And uh, his mother will not be able to stay up that late tonight to do it. And Benjamin's like me. Uh, Ever since he was a very, very young child, well, still a young child, but since he was a very young baby, he's always wanted to stay up late. And uh, these days he still goes to sleep like 10.30 at night and often stays up later than his mom does. And tonight she just cannot stay up very late. So I'll have to get through the material on this show as quickly as possible, I know some of you like the three, four, five-hour shows, but probably can't do that tonight. We did have a very long one last weekend, the week before, so, uh, you know, I do my best to do long shows when I can. But honestly, last week we had a whole lot of material, in fact, so much that uh, I felt like I was overwhelmed trying to cover it all in the time I even had. This week, not so much. This week, it's pretty much a repeat of a lot of the same stories, and the newer stories are not that big. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to still talk about. And I will get to that I'll get to everything before the show's over And however long it takes Is how long it takes But It's not going to be a really long show What we do have Is a free roll once again Very very generous users On Poker Fraud Alert These free rolls we have every week Are sponsored by the users of the site The listeners actually give money To give to other listeners We have a very generous community Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money in our free rolls than any poker podcast since this podcast went up about a year ago. The most. You won't find any poker podcast that's given away more money in free rolls. But it hasn't come from me. It's actually come from our users, and I appreciate that. This week we have a $51 free roll. It starts at 7.40 Pacific, which is 20 minutes from now. The money came from Willie McFML, 10 bucks. Dirty Ernie, 10 bucks. A longtime lurker who doesn't really want to be named but just gave it and said, I appreciate the show, and I appreciate him doing that. 10 bucks from him. $14 from Tiger Piper who gave $100 bucks 2 weeks ago. So this guy's been very generous. DeGreek, $5, and Painless One gave $2. We take anything. I don't care if you want to give $2. I'll take it. I'll take a penny if you want to send me a penny, and I'll mention you on the show. Probably a mistake for me to say that Because we're going to have like 100 people sending a penny And I'll have to go down a list of like 100 people sending me a penny Just to add a dollar to the free roll Got to watch out Because you know the people who listen to this show will do that to me They definitely will But you can still send me a penny if you want If you want to send me any money uh, PM me, I'll give you the address to send it on PayPal If you don't have a PayPal account I'll give you an address to mail the check Or if you want You can even meet up with me at the World Series And hand me money for these free rolls I don't keep any of it Goes all to the free roll. In fact, this site loses money every month because I don't run ads here. I mean, I'll take ads if people want to run ads, but uh, I haven't aggressively pursued ads on this site. I don't have any affiliate programs. Some people say, "Oh, you're you know you're attacking this site or that site because uh, you have something to gain for it." No, I don't. I, I don't represent any sites. I don't have any affiliate programs. I, I'm not anybody's shill. And while I don't like losing money every month, especially because I'm Jewish. And Jews hate losing money. But uh, the one thing, good thing about losing money and not having any sponsors is I can feel free to bash whomever I feel deserves it and not feel any sort of obligation to anyone to go easier on them because they're paying me money. Not that I would anyway, but it's, it's much easier when there's nobody I have to worry about pissing off. So if I want to say something about anyone or any company, I can. And I do. And there's a lot of people in poker now who don't like me very much just because of this. But whatever. I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to speak the truth about whatever's going on in the poker community. Anyway. Free roll tonight at 7.40pm. $51. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need to... Click on the No Fraud Online Poker button near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account in the poker room to play, but it's totally free. You don't even need any play chips to enter the free roll. But you do need to have been registered on PokerFraudAlert.com, not the free roll part of it, not not the poker site part of it, but the uh, forum. You need to have a registered account by January 1st, 2013 if you want to qualify for the free money. And if you don't have an account registered on PokerFraudAlert.com's forum by January 1st, 2013, you can send me a PM to Dan Space Druff, or email dandruff at PokerFraudAlert.com. It's all one word, dandruff at PokerFraudAlert.com. Tell me how long you've been listening. Tell me the things you enjoy about the show, don't enjoy, whatever. Just convince me you've been listening for a while, and I will give you a one-time exception that will last a lifetime. You only have to ask me once to win all the free money that we offer. But you need to do that before you win and before you play. Here are the tournament prizes. It's no limit holdem, 7:40 p.m., 16 minutes from now. First place 25 bucks, second place 15 bucks, third place $6 and fourth place $5. If you finish 5th, you're the bubble boy. Good luck if you're going to play the free roll tonight. I hate saying good luck to everyone because it's not possible for everyone to have good luck. Someone's going to lose, someone's going to finish last, someone's going to bubble Good luck all makes no sense Because all can have good luck Like If you're at the blackjack table, yes, everybody can have good luck The dealer can bust every time But in poker, everybody can't have good luck You're always going to have the percentage you cash and Percentage you don't At a cash game, you're going to have the ones who beat the others Always losers at the poker table Anyway Let me give you the agenda tonight Jamie Gold's bracelet is for sale We're talking about the main event 2006 When he won against 8,700 people Won the main event 12 million bucks He's broke Not a big surprise to a lot of people But can you imagine winning 12 million dollars I know he had to give a lot of it to uh, Crispin Leiser The guy who he agreed to split the money with And tried to stiff out of it When it looked like he was going to run really deep but still, I mean, even if he got six million bucks, even if he had to pay taxes, and it got reduced to three million bucks, I mean, <laughs> how do you blow that much money? Well, I guess people have blown a lot more in poker. But he did. Jamie Gold now selling his World Series of Poker bracelet from the biggest tournament win of all time in regards to prize money. Actually, that's not true. The uh, Antonio Esfandiari's $18 million win was bigger. But the biggest main event win of all time and the biggest prize of all time in poker aside from that million dollar buy-in event which is like a whole different story so that's, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that not that much to say about it, but we'll talk a little bit about that Chino Ream last I looked is leading the World Poker Tour Bellagio main event and Eric Lindgren cashed and was the short stack last I looked, with 15 remaining the reason I'm mentioning these two of course is because both of them owe a lot of money to a lot of people and they don't owe it in the most honest fashion. They got loans from people or made bets with people when they didn't really have the money to cover it and lied about their circumstance and got a lot of people to give them credit in some way or the other without really being credit worthy. And a lot of people got stiffed by these two separately. Like they, they weren't in cahoots. They weren't even friends as far as they know. But both of them owe a lot of money to a lot of people And it'll be interesting to see what will happen if either of them win, especially Chino, who has a lot of chips, may even be the chip leader. I'll take a look at that uh, shortly, give updates throughout the show. Now, if Chino's really going to pay everybody, I hope he wins. But if he's going to pull shenanigans and not pay people, then I hope he doesn't. There are efforts underway right now to shame companies away from using iOvation. iOvation, of course, being Greg Pearson's company, uh, the company that was involved in building the UB software, in building the God mode to allow people to see whole cards on UB. There's a lot of accusations that Greg Pearson himself cheated to fund iOvation, which is now a pretty damn big company. Uh, There's, of course, a lot of evidence now, audio evidence from those meetings that we played last week, that Greg Pearson was very much in on covering up the UB cheating and trying to underpay people who were cheating victims. We have him on tape talking about it. Greg Pearson, the CEO of iOvation. There's efforts underway to shame companies currently using iOvation to not using them and uh, also to make complaints to various uh, regulatory bodies to not allow any companies that use iovation software to get licensed, so I, I hope those efforts succeed. I'll talk a little bit about them. Ultimate Poker. Speaking of iovation, they were using iovation software to verify people's identities. They promised, after initially refusing to, they promised that they would uh, that they would and have gotten rid of iovation as a uh, a vendor to identify the players you know, being really who they say they are. They claim they kicked iOvation off their system, but they will not provide any evidence of it, nor will they tell anyone what company they're using for it now, which is very suspicious. I'm wondering if they really did, or if they just said they did to shut people up and found a way to cover it up. I I don't know. I'm not going to accuse them of doing that yet, but uh, Ultimate Poker has not been very community-friendly. They've been pretty customer service-oriented. You know, they've had a guy... On 2 Plus 2 has been actively responding to people's questions. They've done their best uh, responding to customer service requests. They've been overwhelmed, but at least they've been trying. In that way, they've done well. But uh, where they haven't done well on Ultimate Poker, they've had a very flippant attitude towards the poker community. And I haven't liked it at all. And I can't wait for WorldSeriesOfPoker.com to start offering real money games to Nevada residents. So uh, I can say, screw Ultimate Poker and not play there. I actually haven't played a hand on Ultimate Poker yet. I haven't decided if I want to. Uh, given the way they've treated the poker community so far. Uh, But I'd much rather support the World Series site. Not that I think Caesars is perfect by any means, but uh, um, at least they so far have not had a a flippant attitude like this toward the community. So, uh, anyway, that's the story at the moment. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more. Lock Poker. Can't forget about them. Two little stories about Lock Poker. Of course, the things that are going on are still going on, but no point to rehash it every week. But uh, Lock Poker spokesman and 2plus2 rep Shane Bridges, known as I'm Just Shane on 2plus2, has admitted in a way to blatantly lying about the Portugal retreat that they had for the pros. That was something I brought up. I brought it public, and uh, Shane was very uh, obnoxious about it, telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. now he's admitted in a very Clinton-esque way that he lied. Talk about that a little bit. Also, lock poker pro Brett Gank Jungblut. I think that's how you say his name. You know, part of the crew with Dutch Boy and all those guys. Uh, he trashed me in a chat on another site when people were harassing him about lock. <laughs> I'll talk about what he said and uh, his nonsensical logic he's using. Microgaming. They were a, uh, a network providing. Uh, they, they, you know, they were the former uh, Prima Poker European network They screwed everyone About five years ago uh, 28 skins on the network Which was uh, which were run by a company called Tusk When that went under uh, The players got screwed And their money was frozen And Microgaving tried to wash, wash their hands of it Saying hey we're just a network tough luck Five years later They finally agreed to a settlement At least their their liquidator has Not a very good settlement. I'll tell you guys about that. I keep putting this off, but this time I'm going to do it. Tips for this year's World Series. How I suggest you play. Logistical tips, things like that. Stuff I learned the hard way. I'll tell you about that tonight. World Series starting next week. Doesn't feel like it to me, but it is. California is finally trying to get into the online poker game. And I've I've been really waiting for this because uh, you know a, a Nevada-only room like Ultimate Poker is not going to be very big, except maybe during the World Series when you have a lot of poker players in town. Other than that, just Nevada does not have the population to support online poker in just that state. California does. California has like one-eighth of the entire U.S.'s population. So a California-only room would be very big. Is not legal to do that yet. But there is some attempt to make it happen but it's pretty lousy legislation i'll talk about that and tell you about the flaws that i believe it has some of you may have used t- table ninja it's a uh, it's one of those assistant programs you can use to you know while you're playing online poker to get information on the people you're playing with based upon you know hands that table ninja has recorded with those players They've pulled a bait-and-switch with a so-called lifetime guarantee. This was brought to me by brought to my attention by one of the users on our site in the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum. I'll talk a little bit about what they pulled. More Games, that's M-O-O-R-E, has gone down. They've gone completely offline. They were part of the iPoker network. They had some trouble last year where they disappeared. Now they have disappeared again in an even worse situation. It looks like anyone who had money there is screwed. I'll talk a little bit about what happened there. Maybe we'll have some phone calls, maybe even from Ken Scaler, you never know. 775 fraud 55 775-372-8355, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. I even have an announcement about the tournament, which starts in seven minutes, actually now six minutes. In fact, uh, let me give you my little update music, Might as well. Eric Ryland The guy with the big eyebrows You know, the the kid who was uh, 16 years old And took a lot of uh, abuse on these forums All that time ago Now he's over 21 I don't know if he is 21, but he's at least 21 He has moved to Las Vegas I do want to meet him, I've never met him in person He is generously offering a $5 bounty on himself for this tournament. So in addition to the prize pool, if you knock out Ryland, email me and I'll send you 5 bucks. This is courtesy of Eric Ryland, also known as just Ryland. And he's grown up a lot over the years. You know, he was uh, he was very immature when he showed up when he was 16, but that's to be expected of a 16-year-old, but he's uh, a very different person now at age uh, 21 or whatever he is. And I look forward to meeting him. I think he's really tall also. I think Eric Ryland is like 6 foot 7 or something crazy like that. And he once came on this show and detailed his relationship with a much older woman. He, he dated a woman who's like my age and lived with her for a while, somewhere in the South. He's no longer with her. He says he's 23 now. So, um, you know, he's asking me in PM, did I get it? I, I can't go check my PayPal while I'm doing the show to see if I got five bucks, Ryland. I mean, I appreciate you sending it, but I'm not going to log into my PayPal and make everyone wait to see if I got five bucks. I'm trusting you sent it to me. If you roll me for five bucks, I guess it comes out of my pocket. But anyway, uh, yeah, he's 23. He did go out with a woman who's like almost 20 years older than him. You know, I never had that desire when I was 23. I just I thought women who were like 40 were gross when I was 23. I don't think that anymore now that I'm 41. But uh, back then I saw women that age as just being not appealing at all. Even the hot ones. I just wasn't into that. So uh, I, I know these days there's a lot of guys who like cougars and all that. It's just never been my thing. I've always uh, been attracted to women who are either my age or younger. They don't have to be really young. They don't have to be much younger than me. they just my age or younger. My age is fine, though. You know, And, of course, uh, Benjamin's mother, my current girlfriend, is not that much younger than me because I knew her in college. So, uh, let me go on here. Try to get to all these topics and and finish it quickly enough to where uh, Benjamin's mother doesn't fall asleep before Benjamin does. That wouldn't be good. Otherwise, Ben will have to come in here and do the show with me. I don't think you want that. talk about Jamie Gold's bracelet being for sale. Now, Jamie Gold, uh, he was the first main event winner who really wasn't a good representative of poker. And when I say first main event winner, I mean since the poker boom. The poker boom started when Chris Moneymaker won in two thousand three, and Chris Moneymaker was the perfect representative for poker and the perfect guy to fuel the poker boom because he put like forty bucks on poker stars, won his way into the World Series with only that forty dollar buy in, got the free seat through poker stars, not free, but you know he won it. And then he won the entire main event for two point five million. And this guy was not a pro, this guy wasn't a great player. He was just an average guy, an average guy in his late 20s from the South. You couldn't pick more of an everyman, and he actually had the real name of Moneymaker, and and of course everybody then wanted to be the next Chris Moneymaker. Everybody wanted to put a little money online and turn it into 2.5 million like Chris did. And people could see Chris wasn't a great player. Chris wasn't anything special. He wasn't the next Phil Ivey. He was just a a regular guy who got lucky. And this is what really fueled the poker boom. And and he was generally a nice guy and likable. So... He was a good representative for the game, especially at that time when the poker boom was just getting going. 2004, Greg Raymer, a different type of guy, a you know, much better player than uh, Chris Moneymaker. But you know, aside from getting busted recently for uh, soliciting a prostitute, uh, you know, Raymer was well-spoken. He was intelligent. Uh, seemed uh, like the opposite of a degenerate. Seemed like a good guy. Seemed like someone he could trust and like. So he was a good representative for poker. Joe Hashim, well, you know, he, he became a whiner and uh, people got to dislike him and for good reason in subsequent years. But at the time he won in 2005, you know, he was the uh, the loud Aussie guy and had kind of a big personality and people people liked Joe Hashim for the most part, at least at the time. So he was a pretty good representative for poker. But then came Jamie Gold in 2006. Now, 2006 was the biggest field tournament at least live tournament, to my knowledge, that has ever occurred. 8,700-plus people. And Jamie Gold won it for $12 million. However, this was not without controversy. Uh, First of all, Jamie was just very obnoxious at the table. Uh, Some people felt the obnoxiousness helped him win with, with the table talk he did. But he was just very obnoxious and unlikable at the table. And uh, he also did these weird interviews. He did an interview during the uh, the time he was the chip leader for a few days where he said he doesn't want to win, he wants to finish second, which is very peculiar. Like Who who would ever say they want to finish second in the main event and doesn't, don't want to win? It's the strangest statement you'd ever see. It wasn't even true. It was just a weird thing for him to say. That was when it started to be clear to everybody that this guy was, was not all there. Then came the bad story. Most of you know about this. Where he got his seat for free through Bodog... Uh, he negotiated with Bodog that you know he was uh, like a very low-rent agent. And he said if he gets, uh, he asked Bodog, if I get you a celebrity to play and wear Bodog clothing, will you give me and my partner, Crispin Laser, both seats to the World Series main event? So Bodog said, okay, sure. So he got them some minor celebrity like Matthew Lillard or something. And he's like, okay, we got you Matthew Lillard. Uh, give us both seats. So Bodog wasn't very impressed and said, look, you, know, you just got us Matthew Lillard. We're not giving you two World Series seats. Uh, we'll agree to give you one World Series seat. And, and Matthew Lillard can wear our clothing. And, and we'll pay for him too. So Jamie Gold and Crispin Lizer agreed. Then they had to decide who was going to play between the two of them. Jamie Gold convinced Crispin Lizer that he was the better of the, pl- the two players. You know, that he was the better player there. So he took the seat with the agreement that they split whatever they win 50-50. They had nothing in writing. Just a handshake agreement. Of course, uh, then Jamie Gold ran super, super well, was the chip leader for days. Crispin Leiser started to worry that maybe Jamie Gold is going to stiff him, kept calling him. And Jamie Gold finally, after getting frustrated with being hassled with all these phone calls, and I, I don't blame Crispin. He did the right thing because Jamie Gold was going to screw him. Uh, Jamie Gold left him what's now known as the $6 million voicemail message where he said, stop bothering me. I'm trying to play here. You'll get your half. Just stop calling me. Something like that. I I don't know the exact quote, but it was something like that, where he made it clear that Crispin was going to get his half. So Crispin recorded that message, which was admissible in court because Jamie uh, knew he was recording himself there, and uh, filed a lawsuit against Jamie Gold when Jamie did try to stiff him and give him nothing after winning $12 million. And uh, there was some settlement eventually, months later out of court. It was never disclosed what it was, but it couldn't be that much less than half because uh, you know, Crispin had him dead to rights there in that case he had that recording So I, I imagine it wasn't a $6 million settlement Otherwise uh, Jamie Gold might as well try to get a, a miracle win in court But it was probably something like $5 million or Something like that Something like where it was worth it for Crispin to just take it And not take the chance of losing And, and worth it for Jamie to not have to give away the entire $6 million. It's a real scumbag thing to do though And the public had really soured on Jamie by then. And while guys like Chris Moneymaker and Greg Raymer were getting a million bucks per year to represent poker stars, Jamie Gold, who had a contract then to represent Bodog for free just because he was bought into the event, he actually got dropped by Bodog. Bodog actually threw Jamie Gold's endorsement in the toilet. They said, we don't want you endorsing us. You're gone. We're kicking you out. So Bodog actually had the biggest main event winner of all time representing them, you know, contractually obligated to represent them for the next year, and they they said, forget it, we don't want you even for free. So that was a real slap in the face. You're Chris Moneymaker and Greg Raymer are getting a million bucks to represent a site, and Jamie Gold can't even do it for free. (laughs) And Bodog didn't want him, and I don't blame him. So uh, Jamie Gold then did not make use of his money very well, appeared on those uh, high-stakes poker shows on TV and played like a donkey, There's a big difference between how you play cash poker and tournament poker. I won't bother to go into that, but uh, most of you are experienced enough in poker to know that, that a good style in one is not a good style in the other. So, uh, Jamie was chunking off money big time on high-stakes poker. There's also rumors he had a drug problem and other issues, and and pretty soon the rumors are starting to fly around that Jamie Gold was playing relatively low-limit games in, in card rooms, and that you know, he likely wouldn't be playing if he had money still. So the rumors were flying around for a long time that he was broke. He was taking these uh, small-time endorsement deals, you know, with with small poker rooms. Pretty clear he was broke. Well, now we've got pretty much confirmation. Again, doesn't shock anyone. But um, let me uh, go to the auction. There's an auction here for Jamie Gold's 2006 World Series of Poker bracelet and watch. You get both of them for winning the uh, main event. In fact, I think you get both a watch and a bracelet now for winning any of the World Series events. When I won my bracelet in 2005, uh, it was made in-house by the Harris Corporation, and there was no watch involved. Uh, They've since made a few partnerships with uh, companies that are both making the watch and the bracelet. I think right now their partnership is with Quorum. So, uh, anyway... Jamie Gold in 2006 got both a watch. Actually, I guess it's not the same. Wa- oh, it is, it is the same watch. So uh, this watch, which I have to say is pretty ugly, is a Quorum watch. I guess Quorum got the contract in 06. So I guess I could add an ugly watch too. But I don't. I just have a bracelet. But I'll tell you honestly, I like my bracelet. I like my 05 bracelet better than the bracelets they've made since then. I, I thought the 05 bracelet is the nicest bracelet. I'm not just saying that cuz that's the one I have. But getting back to Jamie Gold. Uh he has this watch that's like a it's like a deck of cards, like a royal flush kind of spread out. And uh, in the middle of the watch, it's kind of ugly looking. But uh that is up for auction on August 1st and 2nd. And uh, then the bracelet, the 2006 World Series of Poker Main Event bracelet is up for auction also on August 1st and 2nd. Now keep in mind the bracelet itself has a lot of value even if you were to just take it apart and melt it down. Because uh, it has the gold value, it has a lot of diamonds on it. Uh, To compare it to the preliminary event bracelets those bracelets are mostly gold and have a few diamonds on them. I was told that my bracelet in 2005 cost three thousand bucks to make. It's worth more than that today because the price of gold has gone up since uh, 2005, and I believe uh, the diamond prices have gone up as well. But uh, the main event bracelets have always been worth a lot more just from the materials alone. I know that when Peter Eastgate sold his bracelet because he claimed he was leaving poker, he actually came back to poker two years later, but he did sell his bracelet. It went for 150 k So I, I imagine this bracelet would probably go for something like that too. I don't know who'd want to buy it. Uh, I, I could understand buying it for a small premium over what the materials are worth just uh, just for the novelty of having it but other than that like who'd really want to pay that much more for a bracelet that you didn't earn like to me the value of my bracelet is the fact that i want it i wouldn't want somebody else's bracelet and that's that's much more of the value to me than the materials involved in the bracelet so i would only find value in a bracelet for the materials itself and maybe for the novelties. I could just go, ah, I have Jimmy Gold's bracelet. But I wouldn't pay a high premium for that. But there's always big fans of poker who will, I guess, kind of in the same way people pay for a a baseball that, uh, you know, with somebody's uh, 700th home run or whatever. But uh, can you imagine going from the $12 million main event winner to selling your World Series of Poker bracelet? I mean, you would think that he would be proud enough of that accomplishment That he just would never sell that bracelet. That he'd rather live as a pauper than sell that bracelet. He'd hold on to it and say, you know, you can't take this away from me. This is my World Series of Poker bracelet. There's never been a bigger field in the World Series of Poker. I won. This is mine. I mean, imagine having to give that away. Imagine having to know somebody else has your bracelet from the biggest World Series of Poker win of all time. But hey, you know, cocaine is a hell of a drug. And, uh, that's uh, that's what happens. I don't know if it was a drug problem or just a gambling problem or both, but uh, Jamie Gold is busto. So it'd be interesting to see what that goes for on a, on August second. Let me uh, give you a little update about the World Poker Tour Live, which otherwise I wouldn't really care about if it wasn't for are scamming friends in the event. <music> Scammer update! Replug the Tour! Okay, so last I told you, Chino Ream was the chip leader with 15 people left. Eric Lindgren was the 15th place in chips out of 15. They paid 15 spots. 49k was 15th place winner gets 1.1 million so it's a it's a pretty impressive payout if you can win so the way I saw it is chino reem who's a good big stack player had a good chance to win or come close to winning and Eric Lindgren looked like he was gonna probably bust and uh, get about 50k or so In fact, he looked like he was going to be the bubble boy. With uh, 16 left, he was the short stack by a factor of three. That is, he had like a third of the stack of the second short stack. Uh, Somehow he outlasted that, and uh, Hyong Kim busted, and Lindgren squeaked into the money. Well, listen to this update. Chino Reem, right now the overwhelming chip leader, 3.7 million chips to second-place Brandon Stevens, 1.9 1.9 million chips, almost double. Chino has almost double the second place guy in chips. I heard that he got really lucky with a Queens versus Aces hand. But that's not all that surprising, because Chino Ream has been the leader throughout most of the day. Not this big of a leader, but still a leader. By the way, is still in the field with a short stack. The surprise is Eric Lindgren, who has rocketed himself up to 1.8 million in chips to be third and almost second. Can you imagine? We almost have the situation right now with Chino Reem being first and Eric Lindgren being second with ten people left. Amazing. Lindgren was down to like one hundred twenty-five thousand in chips. He had now he now has one point eight million. Can you imagine if either of these two wins? I bet there will be people lining up at the door of the Bellagio to collect. The problem is. They were not playing on their own money. I don't know this for certain, but you got to think it's true. This is an expensive buy-in. I think it was twenty-five k or something like that. And uh, there's no way either of these guys had that type of money to just drop in the event. They were obviously put in by someone. Yeah, you know, maybe even the same someone. And they have to pay their backer first. I'm sure nobody puts in Chino Reem unless they know Chino is going to pay them immediately and not give the entire $1.1 to the various people he's owed money to for years. So the backer has to be paid first, whatever their portion is. And then uh, you know we'll see what comes out of uh, the remainder, how much they keep for themselves, how much they pay the people who owe them. But can you imagine all the people are going to show up to collect the money immediately? I mean, I would be right there right now watching and waiting for, And standing there by the cage to collect from these guys If they owed me money So if by any chance you're listening to this And these guys owe you money Get down there right now Forget this show, just get down there Actually don't forget the show You can actually listen to this on your smartphone You know that? You can actually listen to Poker Fraud Alert Live on your smartphone Just go to the radio tab and and follow the link to do it But definitely get down there Because this money is not going to last long Even if they win Now I don't know if they're going to play it out today Or if they're just going to get to the final table and play it tomorrow but uh, it's probably going to be finished off tomorrow. So 10 left. Actually, I said 10 left. Someone's correcting me that there's 10 left. I said 10 left. Can you believe that, though? I, I, I Lindgren it really shocks me. Not that he's a bad player, but just anybody's down to that short of a stack. One-third of the second-shortest stack, you're pretty much done. Boy, that was a comeback. So it's very possible... Chino and Lindgren can finish one two. it'll be like uh, 1.1 million and I, I forget the second but something pretty high. let me let me go see here. Let me go see how much they would make for one and two. First place is. One million dollars plus one hundred fifty thousand, so one million one hundred fifty thousand two ninety seven for first, six hundred fifty two seventy five for second, and then four twenty one k for third, two eighty nine k for fourth, two twenty three k for fifth. So these are all pretty good payouts. Now these guys owe a lot of money, a lot of money. I know Lingren owes over seven figures total. I don't know about Chino, but he owes a lot too. Uh oh, someone's coming in the room here. I guess he closed the door. thought Ben was going to have a another guest appearance on this show. I hope, if these guys have any form of conscience at this point, I hope that these guys pay out every dime that they can to the ones who owe them money. That they don't try to keep any for themselves. I, if they have to pay their backer, fine. I mean, I understand why the backer would demand the money first and would deserve the money first, because there's no way you're going to back someone in an event, if you don't get paid, if they win. This way, it's a lose-lose for you. If you're the backer right now, you do deserve to be paid first, whatever the agreement was. However, whatever amount that they get to keep for themselves, they should give 100% of it to those they owe money to. And I hope that Chino does it. I hope that Lincoln does it. And whatever crap they did in the past, put that aside for the moment, and have them pay out, I mean, at least it'll speak somewhat for their character. It's very bad to rip people off in the first place for these loans and, and, and you know, making bets you can't cover. So, I mean, it's awful. It's stealing. But at least, once you've been caught doing it, at least pay people back. It doesn't make you a good person, but it makes you a lot better person than if you still try to worm out of paying it when you win $1.1 at the World Poker Tour. So I really hope that uh, every penny they make goes toward paying people back. And by the way, Chino has been pretty hot recently. Chino has won 43K in the preliminary events of the World Poker Tour. Now, these have been pretty small fields, but he has two seconds and a fourth, adding up to 43K. I don't know where that money went. I have seen him around at the Bellagio a lot, playing cash games. So I, I have a feeling the money's been going to these cash games, and Last I played with Chino, he wasn't a very good cash player. Now, maybe he's improved. It's been like five years since I played with him in cash, but he was not a good cash player. Very good tournament player, but a lousy cash player. But, you know, maybe that's changed. But whatever. I I really hope that they're making an effort to pay people. Uh, Lindgren claimed in that Bluff article that he really, really wants to pay everyone. But who knows? They all say that. Here's some comments in the chat right now about this. Uh, Forum Wars says that's going to be serious fire code violation crowd by the window. (laughs) He thinks the fire code is going to be violated because of such a huge crowd by the payout window. Probably will be. And uh, Edward Teach saying they don't give a shit. Their reputations are already shit. He's saying they don't care. Everyone hates them and doesn't trust them anymore. So who cares? You know, it's funny. I'll tell you with Lindgren. Somehow he gets everyone to like him when the whole thing came down about him, both about him owing money and about the full tilt fiasco, he somehow was walking around the World Series and, you know, laughing with everybody, and and a lot of the pros were hanging out with him and smiling, and everyone's having a great time, and you'd never know this is the guy who owes the community seven figures and and lied to people about how he could pay them or, or his worthiness to pay them, borrowed money that he really couldn't pay back, made bets he couldn't really cover, None of that was apparent by watching Eric Lindgren. He looked like the happiest guy. looked like the community loved him. I guess if he doesn't know you personally, then uh, a lot easier to love the guy. Anyway, someone saying in the chat: Not many years ago, World Poker Tour Championship paid four million. Today, one million. Pretty epic downfall. Yeah, I was watching the fields of that event when I was at the Bellagio, and it was funny. I think one of the preliminary events got eight people entering. I guess the good thing about playing an event with eight people entering is you've final tabled right away. You can brag you made the final table. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty much a big failure. And the poker world got saturated with too many tournaments. There's just too many of them now. And not enough people who can put up that buy-in with the downfall of both the poker economy and the general world economy. So, that's what's going on. I will give you updates throughout the show. Very interested in this story. And uh, I've looked at it. There hasn't been any kind of significant movement while I was talking about it, except for Daniel Negreanu is now the short stack with 10 left. But that's less interesting. I mean, Negreanu, a, he seems like a decent guy. I like Negreanu. And I wouldn't mind seeing him win. Obviously an excellent tournament player. But he's not as interesting of a story as two people who owe a ton of money to the community and owe it under uh, bad circumstances. By the way, they're, they're sponsored by something called the Champions Club. Reem is sponsored by them. Second place guy right now, uh, Jonathan Roy, he's sponsored by them. Lindgren's sponsored by them. Uh, Negranu is and some of the other guys. I don't know what Champions Club is. You know, I'm going to click on it and find out what it is. I'm going to produce the show during the show, as I always do. Let's see here. It's not coming up. Just... Oh, here we go. The Champions Club. Ch- the WPT Champions Club. Exceptional performances deserve exceptional rewards. Introducing the WPT Champions Club. Still don't know what that is. How you become a member, how they sponsor you. I don't know. Oh, hold on. Uh... Oh, I think it's if you're a past World Poker Tour champion. How do they sponsor you? I don't know. Weird. Well, let me uh, go on to the next topic. We'll be watching that tournament as the show goes on. If you're listening in the archives, I apologize if you already know the results. It's kind of like listening to live sports updates the next day when you already have watched the game. So there's an effort underway to shame companies that are using Iovation. Iovation is a company that provides uh, forms. I shouldn't say security. They claim to provide that too, but more of a, they mainly provide like identity verification and they check for companies that, uh, for scammers, which is kind of ironic, given that Greg Pearson is the uh, CEO of the company. And the company may have been founded with Ultimate Bet cheating money. But regardless, uh, iOvation, uh, they were used by Ultimate Poker, the current legal online poker site in Nevada, to check that uh, the identity of the players was legitimate. So you come on and say who you are. They are verifying through iOvation that you are who you claim iOvation was not directly interfacing with Ultimate Poker. It was actually through a third-party company called Cams, or Verify Cams, who then hired iOvation. So it was like a a contractor of a contractor. But still, iOvation was the company that was checking your identity. They were actually getting your social security number and and, uh, using that to check your identity, which is pretty scary. Greg Pearson's company getting your social security number through the first legal online poker site in the U.S. Now, Ultimate Poker claimed that they they dropped Iovation, but keep in mind that first, Ultimate Poker refused to drop Iovation, saying they only would if they lost their license in Nevada to provide these services, and after a lot of people got angry about that, they changed their stance and allegedly dropped them, but have not yet provided proof that they have dropped them, nor will they tell anyone uh, what's been done, so, you know, what they've switched to. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, I want to talk about a little bit regarding the uh, attempt now to go after iOvation further and get them to lose even more clients. So first of all, uh, someone wrote an email to the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement because New Jersey wants to be like Nevada and offer legalized intrastate online poker, which is poker, you know, online poker that can only be played within New, New Jersey. And there's some plans to have New Jersey and Nevada cooperate where they can play together, where you can play people either in Nevada or New Jersey. And it'll be both skins of the same network, which would be of course, uh, raise the uh, potential player pool. Anyway, uh, not wanting iOvation to have any ability to provide any services to the New Jersey rooms that may, may come to be in the near future, a guy named Poker Xandadu from 2plus2 wrote this email to the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. Dear sirs, it has come to my attention that CAMS LLC has applied to be a service provider for online gaming services to the Atlantic City casinos. Of course, Cam's is the company that was contracting with iOvation. I would like to provide some information regarding a connection between Cam's LLC and the largest cheating scandal in the history of online poker. Cam's LLC is a vertical market company operated by Verifi, offering the Verifi Intelligence Suite to the online gaming industry iOvation is the third-party vendor to Verify and Cams, supplying Asian identity verification services and player fraud prevention for the Intelligence Suite. Two of the co-founders of iOvation, Greg Pearson and John Carl, were the, also the founders in 2000 of the once-popular online poker site, Ultimate Pet. So these guys were the founders of VUB. Can you imagine them offering services now and, and, and these services being accepted for the legal online poker sites in the U.S.? I mean, that's crazy. Can you imagine the, the guys who founded UB and possibly directly cheated people and definitely worked to cover it up are, are now providing services to the, to the legal poker rooms in, in the U.S.? I mean, that's just unfathomable, but it's true, or at least it was true. In 2008, this is the letter continuing, the Ultimate Pet User scandal came to light through the investigative work of a number of astute players. Through further investigations by both players and eventually the Kawanaki Gaming Commission, it was found that a god mode was written into the Ultimate Bet software, allowing those in the know to play on the site while seeing all the cards of the other players. This was used starting in 2003 to steal tens of millions of dollars from registered players. The hard evidence points to knowledgeable participation of both Pearson and Carl in the Ultimate Bet scandal and the siphoning of millions of dollars from the stolen poker funds into the development and operation of iovation. So he's saying here that they stole UB funds and developed iovation with it, and that's the company now operating with stolen funds. You know, they built the company with stolen funds. Ironically, detection of exactly the sort of cheating which was perpetrated on Ultimate Bet was part of the design intent of iovation, originally called IE Logic Software. And that's what's also funny is that while they were stealing, they were providing security services. So the letter goes on. Uh, here are some sources which provide further background information on the scandal, and he he's, puts a few links there. Information on the evidence has surfaced, which shows the direct involvement of Greg Pearson in the Ultimate Bet cheating scandal. It can be found here and uh, shows the the uh, audio evidence. The four voices in the audio files are Russ Hamilton, a player and principal of Ultimate Bet who used the God to steal player money, Greg Pearson, Daniel Friedberg, legal counsel to IE Logic and later an executive at Copsa, which became the corporate owner of Ultimate Bet and Sanford Miller, business partner of Russ Hamilton and lawyer specializing in offshore wealth management. Travis McCarr, a former assistant to Russ Hamilton, holds this evidence and many more documents related to the Ultimate Bet cheating scandal and cover-up he can be reached at, and they gave some email or phone number. Any participation by... Any person in any online poker site scandal should not be overlooked in the licensing of companies for U.S.-regulated online gaming. These persons should not be afforded any opportunity to benefit from the players who are being protected by the New Jersey gaming laws and regulations. Please let me know if you'll take this information into consideration in their background for the licensing of Cam's LLC. Sincerely, any he signed his name. So they responded. Dear Mr. Whatever, Your information was received by the division and will be reviewed. Please be advised the division policy does not allow us to comment on investigations for licensure of status of same. Or or status of the same. Should we need additional information from you, you, we will contact you. Uh, Louis S. Rogaki, Deputy Attorney General, New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. So they're basically saying thanks for the info, but we're not telling you what happened. Which I guess is the way they handle things at the government. We're is fine, but I really hope they take this seriously. So, good for Poker Xanadu for submitting this well-written letter to the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. And hopefully this will be the first of many attempts, and successful attempts, to prevent uh, iOvation from providing services in the legalized online gaming market that is emerging in the U.S. I mean, they... Anyone involved with UB and the cheating from them should just be completely shut out of the legalized online gaming market. And this includes Iovation, this includes anyone who is uh, in management or ownership of UB, this includes Helmuth and Duke, any of the people who benefited from this, who were willfully ignorant, who helped cover things up, who stole the money, whatever. Anyone who is highly suspected of being involved either before or after the scandal should be excluded From any involvement in the legalized Online gaming world Now since then Eleven Grover, Scott Bell Who is uh, going to be releasing A documentary about the UB cheating scandal A a documentary I will be part of uh, He has Released a list of Iovation customers Circa 2008, so some of these may or may not Be customers anymore But uh, he released a big list of these uh, Customers Uh, Most of these I don't recognize, but uh, I'm going to quickly read them from 2008, and then I'll read some others that are rumored to be iOvation customers. So here's the list of iOvation customers that Scott Bell has verified as of 2008. Uh, Cupid, online booty call, so notice these are not all gambling sites, fling.com, fling.com, Green Tube, Global Personals, a lot of personal dating type sites, Sporting Bet, First Beat Media, Las Vegas from Home, NC Soft, Ultimate Blackjack Tour, <laughs> that was also probably funded with UB uh, U- 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 Cheat money, Full Tilt Poker, which I don't believe in this is the case anymore. Back in 2008, that was true. Nexon, Home Shopping Network, Vesta, Donimus, ECM, GE Money, Weststar, Click and Buy, 24-Hour Poker, Pay by Cash, BetDak, Joyous Power, Artix Entertainment, Nitrieve USA, Handango, Zynga, imagine Zynga, I don't know if they still use iOvation, but they did back in 08. TH Sale, Dubit, Instinct, Bingo.com, Direct netpay Blue Square, PalTalk, Sparter, Area Marketing, Item Mania, Guard, Golden Arch Casino, Red Planet Gaming, Interconsult, and these are ones that are rumored. The next ones are uh, Intertops, Bet Chris, Bodog, MiaPuesta.com, Blue Square, Jax, that's Jaxx, Noxwin, BetUK, Sunmaker, Diamond, Ladbroke's, Bwin, Bet365, William Hill, St. Miniver, Moneybookers, Virgin Casino, Sky Betting, and Gaming. Can you imagine? These are a lot of big names here Using iOvation software Or at least have used iOvation software These companies need To be shamed Out of using iOvation software Some of them You can't force through any kind of Regulatory matter because they are uh, Foreign companies that are poorly regulated But uh, There should be as much pressure as possible Put on all these companies To not Use iOvation software Now they're not all going to drop it A lot of them will give you the finger But uh, there really should be Pressure If you you use any of these companies If you're a a customer of any of these companies Please try to put pressure on them To stop using anything iOvation provides iOvation should be out of business Greg Pearson should be in jail And while a lot of that is wishful thinking At the very least this community Should try to shun iOvation And Greg Pearson as much as possible After what he did so uh, that event is uh, that that effort is on the underway. I applaud people like Scott Bell and Poker Xanadu for doing this, and uh, I think even the PPA is getting involved. The PPA is finally doing something that that I like. That they, they're uh, supposedly uh, in their last update mentioned something about this. So that's what we need. We need everybody in poker to get on board for this. Everybody in poker needs to shut out the cheaters as much as possible. Everybody in poker needs to object every time one of the cheaters has any kind of access into the emerging online poker market. Annie Duke becomes a representative for any site, we should raise hell. Phil Hellmuth becomes a representative of any site, we should raise hell. Any site that uses iOvation, we should definitely raise hell. Greg Pearson should make a penny from the poker community, at least not the legal poker community. And preferably nobody in the poker community. As the only way to fight this is for the community to get together and stand up and say we're not going to let the cheaters make money from us anymore. They should be all persona non grata. If they're not going to go to jail, if they're not going to be criminally or civilly charged, at the very least they should be prevented from making more money. And no excuses, no, uh, no bullshit press releases that exonerate themselves, nothing. They were either willfully ignorant, cheated themselves, Or participate in a cover-up Or all three Anyone involved should not be part Of the poker community going forward As much as we can prevent it And I applaud anybody Who makes efforts to make that happen Let me talk about another shady company Where there should be a lot of pressure from the public Against them for their actions Talk about them just about every week on this show. Lock Poker. Now, I'm not going to go over all the different things Lock has done. If you want to hear about it, you can listen to last week's show, the previous week's show especially. You'll hear all about Lock Poker. But Lock Poker spokesman Shane Bridges. He posts his I'm just Shane on 2 Plus 2. Constantly lies to everybody. He's like the mouthpiece for CEO Jennifer Larson. The guy lies just about every day. In fact, lying comes naturally to this guy. It seems like he almost gets off on lying. It seems like he enjoys it. It's not just his job. It seems like he actually enjoys lying to people. Well, uh, finally, I have gotten him to admit that he was lying about something, which is very tough with Shane. Now, it all started, well, I mean, it started a long time ago, but uh, with me, I, I got really involved more recently. And uh, I brought up the fact, I got a tip from an insider that Locke was having a retreat in Portugal, a very expensive retreat paid for by the company where the pros, I think just about all the pros, were invited to come over at Locke Poker's expense and, and stay in a castle and, and, and have all these uh really expensive events while there. Expensive entertainment, expensive events, expensive... uh recreation there. I mean, just the whole thing costs a lot of money. And they've done this before. They did it in 2011 also when they were in better shape. But here in 2013, when Locke was not paying anyone, when they couldn't afford to cash anyone out, they're having this retreat for their pros. And of course, they're keeping it hush-hush. They told all their pros, do not tweet about this. Do not Facebook about this. Pretend you're not here. Do not tell anyone you're in Portugal. Do not tell anyone about this retreat. So at first I was searching for any evidence of it when someone told me about this, and I couldn't find any. I looked at all the Facebook and all the Twitter of all the pros. None of them mentioned anything about Portugal. I'm like, wow, these guys are really uh, pretty loyal to CEO Jennifer Larson. Not one of them is is slipping and letting it out, and there's a lot of pros involved. Well, finally, Michael Mizraki, who's kind of hard to control, he tweeted, not directly about Locke, but he put, I lost my mind today in Portugal. Acrobatic airplane, lots of fun. Thanks, ISPT Poker. Great time. Now, he was talking about some event that ISPT had, which was associated with Locke at some point, but uh, the point is this uh, indicated he was really in Portugal. Uh, Now, at the time when I brought this up about the Portugal thing, and everyone on 2 Plus 2 got really angry because here cash outs were delayed by like five months. No one was getting their money. Nobody had received a check in like four weeks, and, and here they're on this expensive retreat in Portugal. Uh... Shane, Shane Bridges responded by telling me that uh I, I really need to check my sources. That uh my information is severely lacking in facts is what he said. Well, since then it came out that uh you know first by a tweet by the entertainment lock hired, saying another great show in Portugal tonight, thanks to Lock Poker. <laughs> And then various other things came out that made it clear this Portugal retreat was real and that Shane saying to me your information is severely lacking in facts that uh, obviously Shane was lying. Now what my post said about Portugal was that it had began four days beforehand, that Locke was paying for the whole thing, that it was very expensive. Well, Obviously, Shane looked terrible for lying about this, for saying that my information was severely lacking in facts, You know, strongly implying, or more than implying, saying that what I was saying is not true. Here I say, Shane, what do you know about this? Why is there a retreat going on in Portugal, an expensive retreat when you guys can't pay anyone? And he says, you should check your sources. They're, they're severely lacking in facts. So that's pretty much saying, no, you're wrong. Your, your sources are wrong. They're off. He didn't say you have a small detail incorrect. He said, you're severely lacking in facts. Well, it turned out that was not true. Shane had blatantly lied. So, I I had been trying to nail him down. He already embarrassed himself that way. He was in this Q&A thread on 2plus2 recently. And... uh, he was insisting that um, he didn't lie. And Shane claimed, in this 2 plus 2 thread, (laughs) that he was just careful, he was only deflecting. He wasn't lying, he was deflecting, because it was his job to not admit to the Portugal retreat, that he was told not to admit to it. So, therefore, he had to be careful not to lie. He had to be careful not to directly lie. So instead he was deflecting, and the way he claimed he was deflecting was uh let me let me find the exact words here um, I'm looking through two plus two as I'm talking about this, but he claimed he was deflecting because I had a small detail wrong that was when the retreat started, so this way instead of uh yeah, He didn't think he was directly lying by just saying I was severely lacking in facts. And the detail I had wrong was that it didn't start four days ago. It had started one day ago. That was, that was my severely lacking in facts. I got everything else right. That they weren't supposed to tell anyone. That the retreat was going on. That the retreat was expensive. That the retreat was paid for by Locke. All these things were true. The only thing I was wrong about was that it had started the day before, not four days before. This is what he said. As for the Portugal comment, I'm far from embarrassed. It was my job to deflect that. It was important that we didn't have public discussions on where the entire team was. Thankfully, your information was slightly off stating it had started something like four days prior, when in fact we'd only just arrived in Portugal. So I used that as a way to deflect, rather than be forced into a direct lie. I didn't like having to mislead the community, but it was more important that we didn't publicize the fact that our management and partners were all meeting together. This was no different than the, to, to the first retreat a couple of years ago. The details remained secret till after the event. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was saying that... Uh, I was severely lacking in facts and my sources were wrong and he claims he wasn't lying because he says that uh, the small detail of, of the date it started was where I was severely lacking in facts. I mean, the guy blatantly lied and now he's admitting to it but not admitting to it and yet he wants you to trust him. He blatantly lies, says it's, quote, deflecting, says his job to deflect, but you're supposed to trust him. Anything else he says you're supposed to trust him. About cash outs, you're supposed to trust him about the fact that Locke has money and hasn't spent all the player money and stolen the player money, you're supposed to trust him. You're supposed to trust Shane about everything else, but when he feels like it, he can deflect and, and, and say that's not lying. I mean, he blatantly lied. Now, the Portugal thing, it's, it's not a huge deal, other than really offensive that they're spending player money to go party in Portugal when they can't pay anyone. I mean, that's pretty bad, but that's not the main cause of all their problems. But if he's going to directly lie about that when it's very clear that I have good information that it's really going on and I've caught him, and I bring it out there instead of just either saying nothing or responding to it saying, "Okay, yeah, fine, we're here," but uh, you know, here's the reason. He lies directly and then won't even admit afterwards he lied directly. He says he was deflecting, he says that uh, you know, strongly, strongly implying that what I was saying about Portugal was not true. Just because I had one tiny detail wrong is only deflecting. It's not lying. So, uh, unbelievable. You can't trust Shane. You can't trust anybody from Lock Poker. All they do is lie. They've lied since the JIRA scandal happened. That was two years ago. They're still lying today. They're never honest with anyone. So. Just because Locke is paying a few people now in cash-outs, that means nothing. Full Tilt paid people up until the bitter end. And you saw how much money they had. In reality, Full Tilt had stolen 98% of player funds, and they were still able to pay people. Pay people meaning cash-outs. Once the shit hit the fan, they couldn't pay people because everyone needed their money at once. So if Locke is paying people, even if they are paying some people, and nobody's actually received money yet, right? at least not many. Um, there's some people who are supposed to receive it in the next week, and I guess a few have re- actually received it. But uh, even if there are some people receiving money, that doesn't mean they have everyone's money. That just means they have a very small percentage of everyone's money that they are able to pay out at the moment after not paying anyone for six weeks, and the cash-outs being five months behind still. You know, they didn't process a single cash-out for like six weeks. So that's why they have money to pay right now, but not very much. Very bad situation over there. I will give an update on the World Poker Tour. Not all that much change, but Chino Reem has broken the 4 million mark, 4.24 million ahead of Jonathan Roy with 2.050 million. So Chino has more than double the stack of second place. Eric Lindgren still in third with 1.89 million. So, very interesting to watch this one. I really hope the people who they owe money to get paid. That would be at least a happy ending. It's a semi-happy ending. I said at the time when Lindgren's debts were made public that the only way these people are going to get paid is if he hits some big, big score and then gives all the money to pay back. So we'll see what happens. But he's far from making the big score right now. He's still 10 people left. Let me talk a little bit more about something having to do with lock, but not Locke itself. I want to talk about uh, Brett Gank Youngblood, Jungblood, I don't know how you say his last name. Part of the crew with Dutch Boyd and Scott Fishman and whoever else, Joe Bartholdi. I think was the fourth one. Uh, Gank, who I always got along with. At least up until about two years ago. you know, He and I never had any arguments or fights or anything like that. Whenever he saw me in the hallway of the World Series or wherever else I'd see him, he'd say hello to me. He was very friendly and very nice. And that was mainly because I was friends with Brian Micon. And uh, he was friends with Brian Mycon. so I, I was kind of like his... Uh, I wouldn't say his friend, but I was uh, at least uh, a friendly party to him by association. Now once mycon and I had our falling out two years ago, uh, obviously... Gank being much better of a friend to Mike on than to me. I wasn't even Gank's friend. Uh, Obviously, he probably took Mike on side and probably thought less of me. So fine. You know, that's what happens when you have a breakup, so to speak, with friends and uh, their friends sometimes don't like you very much after that, especially if they only hear one side of the story. Whatever. Fine. I don't really care. what Gank thinks of me. He was never my friend, so it didn't really matter very much. So uh, Gank and I really haven't spoken at all in about two years. We haven't had any kind of falling out or anything. I I just have a feeling he just doesn't like me very much anymore. But uh, I I think he really doesn't like me very much now because I am on the offensive about Locke. And I've been really pressing hard for everybody to not play on Locke, to not trust Locke, to ask the tough questions to Locke, to expose Locke for what they are. And uh, this bothers Gank, who is a Locke pro, who is, it's no secret Gank doesn't have much money, Gank uh, is, is looking for stakes for the World Series. Gank has been broke or close to broke for a long time. And that's why he wants to stay as a lock shill. That's why he wants to be a lock pro. There's, that's the only reason for it. Uh, now, Gank is not someone who's gullible or stupid. Gank was one of the people at the forefront of criticizing UB and criticizing AP. Some of you might remember when me and Mark Safe were going at it back and forth. In fact, we even both did videos criticizing each other on uh, Raw Vegas TV back in 2007. Gank was one of the first people to step up in my corner and criticize, criticize Mike Safe, Mark Safe, for obviously not telling the truth about what was really going on there. He was criticizing Mark Safe for being willfully ignorant to the cheating that was happening there. He was criticizing UB. I mean, Gank was saying all the same stuff I was. Gank was saying all you shills for UB, all you apologists for UB, all you people who have something to gain financially by supporting UB, you're lying to the public to enrich yourselves. How dare you? Gank called him out. Gank stood up and called them out just because he felt it was the right thing to do. I know other people who are friends with Gank going back many years who've told me that Gank was always disgusted by the shadiness of people in online poker and how people in online poker Uh, Especially, you know, operators of online poker sites cheat people constantly. Now, it's kind of strange he was such good friends with Dutch Boyd who essentially did that. But putting that aside, Gank really was personally bothered, just like I am, to see online poker sites cheating the community. And that's why he was so vocal about UB and AP. And uh, that's why this always really bothered him. And to an extension of this, Gank put a lot of time into the Occupy Vegas movement. Now, I'm not a fan of the whole Occupy movement. Uh, I'm more of a conservative. I'm not like a Tea Party conservative, but I'm I'm generally a conservative. I I was not really a fan of the Occupy movement. I felt a lot of it was misdirected. I felt that the concept wasn't bad, but it was misdirected. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to get in that whole political discussion. But Gank was very, very much involved in the Occupy Vegas branch of the Occupy movement. And where I have to agree with Gank and where I have to agree with a lot of people involved with in the Occupy movement was that the roots of the movement were to fight corporate corruption, and there is a lot of corporate corruption in the United States there are a lot of corporations who need to be exposed for, for things they are doing that, that the public doesn't know about and, and for a lot of unfair and, and, and in some cases illegal things that are happening and uh, and if a movement like Occupy you know wants to focus on that, I'm all for that Unfortunately, you know, Occupy focused on a lot of the crap where uh, people were generally entitled to You know, people who just didn't have much money felt that they were entitled to everyone else's money was, a, was the message of a lot of that movement. And that's where I had the problem. But the anti-corruption, the anti-corporate corruption message from the movement, I can agree with. So here we have Gank, who is at the Occupy Vegas movement, very, very, very much against corporate corruption, very much against corporations that steal from the public. Mislead the public, lie to the public, and now he's representing Lock Poker, a corrupt corporation that steals from the public, lies to the public, and misleads the public. Here he's telling people, "Come play on Lock Poker," which does the exact same things I was protesting against at Occupy Vegas. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's I, I've laid out all the information very clearly in black and white, and I know Ganks read it about what's going on at Locke. And for some reason, Gank was easily convinced about the shadiness at UB and AP, but he's not convinced at all about Locke. And that's because UB and AP were not paying Gank, and Locke is. So suddenly when a paycheck is involved, all of a sudden, Gank has become blind to what's really going on there. And this is otherwise a very principled guy who who hates corporate corruption, who hates companies that steal from innocent people, but the one that's writing the the paycheck, he just can't see it. So let, let me read to you some stuff he said in a chat on uh, another online poker site. Uh, one of our users here, and by the way, I didn't direct anyone to do this. Uh, people did this on their own. I, I've not asked anyone to bother gank or to you know ask him questions about lock in in, in chat rooms or whatever. Like the, these people are doing it on their own and posting it on my site. So. Um, let, let me tell you some things that Gank said uh, first people were uh, criticizing him about, uh, about Locke and uh, someone asked him is Locke doing better yet and he said doing better communicating with players from the top down that's, that's, it's so funny how Locke is blaming all the problems on quote communication when, first of all, it was their own communication that was the problem, and they could have fixed it a long time ago, but they didn't want to fix it because they didn't have anything to communicate yet, because they didn't have any money to pay anyone. But, uh, they're oh, we're doing better now with communication. We've, we've really improved our communication. Yeah, BS, you didn't improve your communication. You stonewalled everyone for a month, and then, and then finally, when you got together a little bit of money to pay, that's when you start telling people, okay, we're paying you, and, and pay a few of them, but you haven't improved communication at all. People are still confused about everything. People, people are still they still have no answers about anything that happened in the recent past or distant past. Nobody has any answers yet, except for lies that are, that are easily taken apart upon close examination. But, but getting back, uh, so, so this user says to him, that's BS, Gank. And um, and Gank says, the end-of-the-world scenario has been tedious and over-the-top, in my opinion, regarding Locke. He thinks that uh, the things about them being broke... It's tedious and over the top How is it tedious and over the top They're ex- acting exactly like a poker site Would act if they were broke and don't want to admit it And I've gone over why You just you just need to read any of my posts And you'll see what I mean by that So uh, of course people are still calling him out there and uh, But, but uh, then Brett says I don't have much more info than the public And I would not still be with Locke If I thought anything was set up shady Well that doesn't make any sense All the info the public has is that Locke is super shady. Locke won't answer anything directly. Locke's few answers contain lies that are easily disproven. And yet, uh, he says he doesn't have any more information than that, and he still believes them? I mean, it'd be one thing if he says, hey, I know some things behind the scenes, but can't tell you guys, but I can tell you for sure they're fine. But no, he says, yeah, I don't know anything more than you do, but I I believe them. Well, yeah, because they're cutting you checks. So then someone asked him if he'll come on this show. He says, no, I will not do anything with Druff. He has been asking me to bash on Locke for years. He needs more social skills, IMO. (laughs) Well, first of all, that's not true. I haven't been asking him to bash Locke for years. I haven't said a thing to him uh, until very recently. I've basically ignored him for... uh, I mean, I may have said something once a long time ago, but I haven't been hassling him to bash Locke for years. I, I pretty much left it alone because I knew he was broke for the most part and and needed that lock paycheck and I knew he wasn't going to listen to me anyway and I knew he didn't think much of me anymore since my fallout with mycon. so I'm like, yeah, you know, I might as well not bug the guy. It's gonna be falling on deaf ears. so finally i I wrote an open letter to him when he showed up on two plus two regarding the recent lock situation, but that's about it. I've been asking him to bash lock for years, but even if I have, it would be justified. He, he's pretty much contradicting everything he stood for. He's pretty much contradicting everything he protested against at the Occupy movement. And I, I would love, Gank, to have a conversation with you about how Locke is any different than these corporations you were protesting against at Occupy Vegas. You know, if you want to be someone that protests all the corporations and, and takes up the, the populist causes and and uh, you know power to the people, et cetera, et cetera, I can't agree with all that. I think a lot of that is entitled BS, but there, at least I can respect it to some degree. I can respect being against corporation corruption. I can respect wanting the little man to have a fair chance. I can respect these desires and and to some degree, I even agree with you. But then when you represent a company that's doing just that, and because they're writing you a paycheck, you look the other way, you're just as bad as anyone who works for these companies you're protesting against. You may not like that when you look in the mirror, but it's the truth. And that's why I just don't get. I just don't get people who claim to have principles uh, in one area of life and put so much time and energy into those principles but then abandon them when there's a little bit of money on the table for them to abandon them. So... Let me... Uh, so someone someone sent me a video uh, through the chat room of a, a video of Lindgren saying he looks like he's on drugs. This is a, a, a an interview he did for the World Poker Tour just recently. Maybe just today. I'll play it in a second. Let me finish with Gank and I'll play that. So uh so he he, he drops his insole on me. I need more social skills IMO. And what the hell? I I like why even why even say that about me? I wasn't insulting him personally. Why is he trying to drop personal insults on me? Because I'm trying to warn people about a company trying to steal their money. That's all I'm doing. He knows I, I have nothing to gain from it. So uh, then he goes on to say, oh, like $500,000 or twice that went out in Skrill payments this week. Pretty sure that screwed up the 0.3 thing that some guys had going. So he was denying that uh, Poker was trading uh, at 0.3 to the dollar. Yeah, thirty cents in the dollar on two plus two. He was claiming that it's going for seventy cents now, which and people are calling him out for it, saying that's absolutely not true. You can't point to me anywhere that's trading uh, seventy cents in the dollar for lock money, which still isn't good seventy cents in the dollar. So uh, then he goes on to say, uh, so that he wants people to invest in him for the World Series, and tells them to uh, email him. He gives the email address out. So someone asks him, do you accept lock money? And he ignores it. And they ask again, do you accept lock money? He ignores it. Then they ask again, do you accept money as payment? Like in all caps. And so again, he ignores it. And someone finally says, that means no. <laughs> so finally he says, I don't accept anything but cash. That includes bitcoins, etc." cetera. So uh, he's taking the same attitude of Melanie Wisner. Yes, you can trust lock. Yes, you should go play there. Yes, I recommend them. But no, I won't accept lock money to sponsor me for tournaments. So the truth is, these guys don't want lock money. They know the truth. I mean, they don't know any better than the rest of us, but they know from common sense that lock is in big trouble and that they're never going to get their money off. Or if they do it, it'll take an eternity. There's a good chance they'll never get the money off. So they don't want that money. They don't want lock money. They know it's kind of like Monopoly money. If If they need to play the World Series of Poker... They need someone to back them for the World Series. They need money that they can actually exchange for actual real cash. And that's why they don't accept lock money, because they have no faith in it. So they, they use the excuse of, oh, no, I don't accept anything except for uh, cash, or I don't accept anything except for money I can instantly cash out. That's not the reason. They they don't accept it because they know what we know, that Locks in big trouble. And... Uh, this is the final thing that uh, later on uh, Willie McFML and some other people were uh, hassling Gank again. And again, I didn't tell anyone to do this. But uh, he said, God damn, you guys are the worst fucking investigative journalists ever. I've been a lock pro for three and a half years. Uh, and then when, when someone said that they uh, uh, that they're not letting people cash out if they've received a transfer, he says, that isn't the case, but I don't want to be talking about other sites here. Not appropriate. It's a playthrough. And then uh, when someone tells him to read my post all about what's going on on Locke, he says, first of all, Poker Fraud Alert is Druff's site, and not to say the info's wrong, because I haven't looked yet, but Druff has been trying to get me to personally go public against Locke for over two years now, so he has a deeper grudge, in my opinion. Well, look, you haven't read the information yet, you claim, so how do you know if I'm wrong? Why don't you read, and I'm sure he's already read it, by the way, but he claims he hasn't read it, but Before you criticize me, before you say I have an axe to grind, before you say I have a deeper grudge, which I don't, and before you say that uh, I'm unreliable or need more social skills, why don't you go read what I wrote, Brett, and then you will understand why I'm saying what I am. You'll understand all the good evidence I'm presenting, the very strong circumstantial evidence I'm presenting, that makes it highly, highly likely that Locke has stolen the player money and doesn't have it. Then maybe when you've read all my information then maybe you will not come out and criticize me like this, and then maybe you'll walk away if you have the ethics that you claim you do. But how can you not have read what I wrote, and then criticize it? It's crazy. It's like saying, yeah, you, I'm not saying he's wrong, but uh, but don't trust him. Don't trust what he's saying. It's, it's all over the top. It's all crap. Well, you can't say it's crap. You haven't read it yet. So that's my rant against Gank. Gank, I'd love to have a real conversation with you about this. Okay, let's, let's uh, get away from Gank, and, and I'll play the Eric Lindgren in- interview, which is uh, about two minutes long. I haven't heard this yet. I think it may have been recorded today. Yeah, it was published today. Here we go. This is before he uh, cashed, but uh, probably uh, sometime today during one of the breaks near the bubble.
1: everyone i'm janine deep here on day four of the wpt world championship we are on our last break of the night and with eric lindgren eric everything seems to be going pretty well today for you
2: yeah you could say that i I was i had one foot out the door everybody was like looking at my stack like get him out of here and then you know i won a flip and then i won one that wasn't a flip i got real lucky so i'm still here
1: and i know you have amir babakani at your table he seems to be all over the place i don't know how how's that for you
2: i know I, i i watched uh you know, I studied some of his final table and watched your interview Anyone, he won. You know, I tried <laughs> to figure this guy out, you know, because he's really a tough player. So, uh, you know, he, he's going through modes. Sometimes he plays a lot of hands and sometimes he doesn't. So a tough guy to figure out.
1: And speaking of that, I mean, you guys are all have been over trying to do some research on people. And I'm guessing there's quite a few players that you may not know too much about.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting field because everybody that wins a tournament throughout the year gets here. And yeah. a lot of those people I haven't seen. So it's exciting. It's fun. It's a challenge.
1: And now, you know, we're the last level tonight. Going in tomorrow, game plan, trying to just take it easy.
2: Now this is a really important level. If there ever was one, I need to win chips before I uh, take on uh, old kid poker over here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Daniel, everyone's just kind of like, oh, he's talking the whole time. I guess you're used to it by now. You've been playing with him forever, but. I
2: didn't hear him say a word. He's been talking? He never talks. He never talks. <laughs> he just listens a lot, apparently.
1: Of course. He's the greatest listener in poker.
2: I don't know about
1: that. <laughs> all right. Well, good luck in the last level. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and for all of you, make sure you follow the updates at WPT.com.
0: WPT News Brought to you by ClubBuyWT.com. Okay. So uh, that was the interview with Eric Lindgren today. Sounds very Chipper. Would you ever guess that this is the guy who was in rehab for gambling and owes people seven figures and had all that trouble with Full Tilt? I mean, you? he sounds like so happy and, and so friendly and, and such a great guy. I guess that's why people can't hate him. So uh, that was the interview. Someone said he sounded like he's on drugs. To me, he didn't sound like he was on drugs. He just sounded like he was really happy and really friendly. I guess maybe he's so happy because he thinks this is his his ticket out of of the poorhouse. Maybe restore his reputation. Here's an update. Whoever said nice guys finished last is probably correct. Because the two not-so-nice guys in this field... Are one and two. Chino Reem still with 4.2 million. Eric Lindgren now second place with 2.55 million. Third place, Jonathan Roy still with 2.050 million. So <laughs> average ship stack 1.6 million. Chino Reem number one, Eric Lindgren number two, and still rising. Can you believe this? I think it's destiny for these two to finish 1 2. I think this is the scammers' event. This is going to be really interesting. Really, really interesting. All right, let's move on to the next subject here. Where did that go? Here we are. Here's my agenda. Ultimate Poker will not provide proof that they ditched Iovation. This is a big problem to me, and I I thought this as soon as they said they're going to ditch Iovation. Because their initial statement about it was that... uh, as long as Iovation stays licensed, and Iovation actually doesn't have the license, it's actually that Cam's company who then hires Iovation, but as long as they stay licensed in Nevada, Ultimate Poker's going to keep using them. And I thought that was a very flippant and obnoxious statement to make to the poker community. We are your customers. We are a community that's been around for a long time. It's a small, closed community. And I'm talking about your regular players, not your recreational players, but your regular players, your grinders, the people you're going to really make your money from, rake-wise, you need them as customers. You need to appreciate them. You need to treat them well. The the days of treating your customers like crap are over with because uh, there's going to be a lot more choice out there. It's going to be a legalized, regulated environment. And uh, once large companies like Caesars are able to enter, which they're about to, they're going to unleash WSOP.com to the Nevada public sometime within the next uh, two months. Um, you know, you have to really appreciate your customer base, especially if you're not one of the big players like uh, Caesars, and, and really make them feel at home, really make them feel like uh, you're on their side. And when you're saying, I don't care if a, a company built with stolen player money is now one of our uh, contractors and is making money every time you sign up on our site and get verified. I don't care, as long as they stay licensed, tough luck on you. That's a really crappy thing to say to the community. Now, I know they reversed their stance, and that's fine. And that's that's better than not reversing their stance. I'm glad they at least realized the error in their ways. But but number one, why did they let this happen in the first place? And number two, when they were made aware of it, when I, I think they already were aware of what iOvation was, but even, if, even if they weren't, once they were made aware, why didn't they say, oh, we're so sorry, we're going to drop them as soon as we can. We're going to switch to someone else as soon as we can. No, they said, tough luck. We're keeping them. You don't like it? Too bad. Those weren't the words they used, but that's the message they were getting across, and only after everyone got just so pissed off about it that they said, okay, okay, fine, we'll drop iOvation. Fine, fine, fine. They're they're gone. iOvation's gone, everybody. Goodbye. No more iOvation. Well, that may not be true. I'm not saying it isn't true, but I haven't seen any evidence that it is true. They haven't said who is replacing iOvation. They haven't said who's replacing Cams LLC. They just said they've been dropped, and they won't give any information. Nor will cams give any information. So, who knows if it's really true. And this is more indication that Ultimate Poker doesn't care that much about the community. And you have to care about the community. If you're one of the smaller players, I mean, they're the only game in town right now, but they won't be. Very soon they won't be. If you're one of the smaller players, you've got to beat the bigger players by providing a better customer service experience, by making the grinders like you better. The same thing is like having a, a little mom-and-pop supermarket right next to a, a giant supermarket. You're not going to keep customers by being rude and nasty to them. You've got to have the, uh, the the small neighborhood care-about-your-customers sort of feel to it, to where people like coming and shopping there. If you're If you're an asshole to people, if you act like you don't give a shit about them, they're going to go to the big box store next door because there's a better selection, and better prices. Well, same thing here. No one's going to want to keep playing on Ultimate Poker if WSOP.com is there with more players, a bigger brand, probably better games, if you've got this crappy attitude and, and if you won't make certain that people are confident that IOvation is no longer a part of your operation. So I think it's really crappy that Ultimate Poker was first very flippant about the whole thing and, and refusing to cooperate, and then once they did cooperate, will not provide any kind of proof or information that they have. Pretty lousy in my opinion. I haven't played a hand there yet. I haven't I haven't gone as far as boycotting them yet, but I haven't played a hand there yet. And I haven't decided if I wanted to. And yeah, I've gotten fully verified and all that. My phone works the way it needs to and all that. Let me uh, talk a little bit about microgaming. It's a five year old story, but it has a recent update. So, oops, I just kicked myself out of my own chat room. I hate when that happens. So, microgaming is a network, it's a former uh, Prima po- Poker network. A lot of you have never played on it because they've never allowed US players. But uh, they had this disastrous thing occur there in 2008. Um, there is a company called Tusk Inves- Investment Corporation that handled the player funds for 28 different skins on microgaming. And in February 2008, microgaming, which again is a network, is not a poker site, but it's a poker network, just like the merge network, just you know, a network where uh, you know, all the skins get together and share players. So there's the, there's the network, and then there's the the individual skins, which, which which are the actual poker sites you're playing on. But it's the network who's connecting everybody together. So anyway, Microgaming Network revoked Tusk Investment Corporation's license in February 2008, and Tusk announced that they were insolvent. So Tusk was basically broke, and they handled 28 poker rooms on Microgaming. So this is a big deal, because Tusk was holding all the money for these 28 poker rooms. Sometimes the network holds all the money. In this case, Microgaming was letting the skins hold their own money, which is a very bad business model, because these skins are never very stable. And so here it wasn't just one bad skin, it was 28 bad skins, because it was all uh, handled by the same company, Tusk. And uh, all that money was lost. I don't know where it all went, but Tusk went broke. And all the Player money they were holding was gone, and they admitted it. So uh, skins of tusk, uh, skins of microgaming like Battlefield Poker and Red Nines Poker were immediately shut down, and uh, no one's been able to remove or withdraw their money ever since. So it's been this way since February '08. Anyone who had money on those 28 skins has not been able to get to the money. Now microgaming has gone on and continues to provide games. They didn't cover it. They didn't say sorry about that. You know, we, we uh, allowed 28 bad skins in the network, and everyone got screwed. We'll cover it. Nope, they just continued offering games and said tough luck. In fact, uh, they communicated very little with anyone—not the players, not the skin owners, not the liquidator, no one. They just uh, they just said nothing to anyone. Uh, finally, they responded to only one person when who was threatening uh, legal action, and they just said we don't have responsibility. Go ask, go after Tusk. Not our problem. So finally, after about a year, in 2009, the Liquidators, who were appointed to uh, handle the dismantling of Tusk, reported that Tusk has enough money left to reimburse players about 15% of their micro-gaming accounts. So whatever money you had on one of those 28 skins, or, you know, whatever you... If, if you were part of those 28 skins, in any way, shape, or form, you were going to get about 15% on your money. But it didn't end there, because uh, nothing got paid. And for four more years, it stayed that way. So, this occurred in February 08. Here we are in May 2013, and still no one's gotten anything. Forget 15%. These players got 0%, and microgaming is still in operation. And, and they've made it clear they have no intention of reimbursing their players at all. Well, finally, the, the liquidator has come forward after all these years and have announced that they will pay 13 to 16% of player balances. That's absolutely terrible. So, whatever you had on the microgaming network on those 28 skins. That has been frozen for five years. More than five years. Five years and uh, three months. You will get 13-16% to of whatever that money is. The rest is just lost forever. Microgaming is covering none of it. This is money that uh, the liquidators were able to recover from Tusk. And that's it. So, there it goes. There goes the rest of your money. doesn't matter how well Microgaming has done or how much money they've made since then. They're not paying anyone anything. Tough luck on you. Really crappy. Nobody should play on any microgaming skins. They should be boycotted. They should be completely 100% boycotted because they're bad news. They should have covered this, and they didn't. They should have at least uh, done their best to cover it, especially over time. Over a period of five years, they could have definitely covered this. But they didn't, and uh, you know they're happy to take your money, They're happy to take their percentage of the rake whenever uh, these skins operate on their network, but as soon as the skins screw people, they want nothing to do with it. So they collected a lot of your rake, but they won't pay you a dime when the skins ultimately screwed you. Absolutely, positively terrible. So while this did not affect any U.S. players, microgaming is still in business. Please do not play on microgaming. And if you don't know if you're playing on microgaming, check into it. Google the name of your skin you're playing on and see if it's a microgaming skin. If it is, get off there immediately. Okay, so we're going to talk about some legislation that the state of California is attempting to push through. It's by no means a sure thing to happen, but uh, still interesting and, in my opinion, not very good. I'll tell you about uh, the legislation here. The legislation, which is a bill under consideration in California, would not allow any form of interstate play. So you know how I talked about those compacts between uh, New Jersey and Nevada that are going to be attempted to where they'll share the same player pool? Wouldn't it be cool if California could share the same player pool with Nevada and New Jersey and, and maybe some other states? Imagine if you had like California, New York, Texas, New Jersey, Nevada, some other states. Imagine how big of that player pool would be. It would almost be like playing on a federal room. I mean, yeah, there would still be a lot of states who uh, were restricted out, but I mean, if you get a lot of big states together, you have a very big player pool. California itself has one-eighth of the population, but yeah, it shouldn't stop there. They should really uh, cooperate with whoever they could cooperate with. Well, they don't want that. So this bill would require the state to opt out of and decline any kind of federal framework for internet gambling and would say that uh, the state would not be able to participate in any kind of agreement with other states to share player pools. So that's it. It's just California would be their own online poker uh, gaming area and even if federal legislation was, was passed to where federally legalized online poker rooms were allowed, this would actually make it illegal within California to play in them. And that California would actually uh, be a state where you would have to play on California-only rooms, which is a disaster. Why should California be doing this? Why should they be saying they would opt out of federal rooms? Why should they not want to participate with other states? So, uh... This is being pushed by the, uh, the Indian tribes. And the Indian tribes basically don't want to lose any money to anyone outside of California or anyone basically who isn't an Indian tribe. And right now you have to be an Indian tribe to offer games in California of any kind, poker or otherwise. So they don't want to share any of the money with Nevada or New Jersey. They don't want to be a skin of a Nevada room. They want to keep all the money. And that's why they want to isolate themselves. That's why they don't want to be part of any kind of federal room. That's why they actually want the state to not allow its uh, it, its citizens to play in any federal room, to actually opt out of being any part of any kind of uh, federal online poker room to force everyone to play on these Indian tribe uh, California rooms. So that's awful. Now, this hasn't been uh, passed yet, but uh, it, it's something that I definitely don't support. And they also would be prohibiting any, quote, bad actors who violated the UIGEA, such as Poker Stars or any of the other online gambling companies that existed, afoul of U.S. law you know, since it's been passed in 2006. And the reason for that. Is that, uh, um, or, or sorry, it's not just the UIGEA, it's at any time, meaning even before the UIGEA, meaning even party poker would be restricted. And again, it's to keep all competition out. It's to keep any sites like Poker Stars from competing with them, even party poker from competing with them. Now, that I don't mind so much. People have given me a hard time about that. They're saying, well, you know, why would you not want Poker Stars to be able to offer games? Why would you not want Party to be able to offer games? Why, why is that fair? Why is that right? Don't, don't you want the experienced operators to be the ones to be able to offer games to the players so we don't have to count on these fail rooms to reinvent the wheel, basically? And my answer to this is that you know when these rooms chose to continue offering games to U.S. residents, even before the UIGEA, they knew they were breaking the law in some way. They knew that legalized online poker did not exist in the US. They knew that it was against the law in some way. It was more against the law after the UIGEA, but it was always against the law to some degree. And if it wasn't, believe me, there would have been plenty of legal online rooms running on US soil, but there was not one. There was not a single room running on US soil until Ultimate Poker, which was legal, because it was illegal and everyone knew it and everyone was afraid to do it. Poker stars did it because they were uh, not on US soil. Party did it until the UIGEA, and then they got scared. Many other rooms did it. Full Tilt did it. When you choose to do that, when you choose to run afoul of the law, when you choose to break the law and make a lot of money from doing it and get a big head start against the ones who wait until it's actually legal to do it, you can't expect to then be part of the legalized landscape. It's just not fair. It's giving an unfair advantage to those that didn't follow the rules. And you should never do that with any kind of law. You should never make it to where anyone who has been breaking the law this whole time now has an edge on anyone who's been acting right. Now, I was not supportive of any of these laws making online poker illegal. I wish it was legal the whole time for U.S. companies to offer. Then we would never have had all these cheating scandals. But the fact is it was illegal. The fact is that these companies got a huge head start. The fact is that PokerStars now has so much experience offering online poker to the world. They have the best software. They have the best support. They have the, the most experience. They, they know what they're doing. Well, everybody else who's just coming to the market is new. And PokerStars would crush them if, if put in a competitive situation, not because they're necessarily smarter or better, but because they have the experience. They have the know-how after 11 years of doing it. And it's not fair to the newbies, the ones that have been waiting for it to be legal, the ones that have been operating according to the law, to be crushed by a site that has been breaking the law for 11 years. Nothing against poker stars here, but it's just the only thing that's fair. You can't reward the ones that have been breaking the law. So I actually agree with that part of it, but the rest of it I don't agree with. And, uh, and I don't think that it's right... Uh, that it would be uh, pretty much isolating California from everywhere. So. Someone's asking in the chat, uh, or making a comment in the chat, fuck what's fair to the corporations. What about what's fair to the customers? Well, you can't just say fuck what's fair to the corporations. You can't just say screw corporations. They don't matter because they're not people. I don't support any kind of uh, leeway for corporations. I don't let. I don't like when corporations get away with any kind of corruption or law breaking. But at the same time, you can't just say corporations that have been breaking U.S. law for 11 years and have an edge because they have 11 years of experience should be able to be licensed and be able to operate under the same terms as the ones that have been following the rules and now have to start new. You you, you just cannot give the advantage to the ones who've been breaking the law like that. It's just not fair. You can't just say, screw the corporations. Now, you can say it's better for the player, but in the long run, it won't be. In the long run, the legalized online poker rooms, the ones that have followed the rules, will gain the experience and they will offer games that are just as good and they will run an operation that's just as competent as poker stars. The market will take care of that. In The free market, the, the best the best operation wins, basically. And, and someone will rise up to be the best operation. Maybe at the beginning they will have a lot of fail. But one will rise up to be the best operation, just as PokerStars has risen to become the clear best operator in the illegal market. There will be a U.S. version of Poker Stars pretty much, that rises up and becomes the best. I don't know if it'll be WSOP.com. I don't know which one it'll be, but there will be one that rises up and becomes the best and will be just as good as PokerStars is now, if not better. But you have to give them a chance. You can't just give the finger to the ones that have been playing by the U.S. rules because they had to and and give the advantage to the ones that have been breaking the law the whole way. It's just not right. You can say the law was stupid. You can say the law wasn't right. Fine, I, I agree. But that was the law and these companies had to follow it and now they're at a huge disadvantage because they followed it. You should never reward the lawbreakers in any way. And um, someone saying in chat, I didn't know poker stars acted illegally. They acted illegally by offering real money games to U.S. residents. And more specifically, they acted illegally by accepting real money deposits from U.S. players. And, and furthermore, in uh, various ways that they tricked the banks into both uh, mislabeling the deposits and payouts, that was also very much against the law. So so again, I'm not someone who feels that online poker should have been illegal. I'm not someone who supported these laws. But unfortunately, these laws are what were preventing us from having online poker from reputable U.S. corporations. And these reputable U.S. corporations now are way behind because they, they were not able to develop this experience and, and, and the player trust and et cetera, et cetera, like the illegal rooms were, such as PokerStars. Anyway, So the California attempt to legalize online poker I think is a joke. The exclusionary tactics. I think that uh, California should legalize it, but it should be something that they, they should want to join other states and make as big and good of a room as possible to make as big of a network as possible with the states that will opt into it. They shouldn't try to fight that and they especially should not be telling their residents you can't play on any kind of federal room. You can only play on our California room. What the hell? What right does the state... I mean, they may technically have the right, but I mean, what moral right does the state have to say, you can't play on any U.S. room, even if it's legalized by the federal government, you can only play on our California rooms because we want the money. Screw the U.S. We want the money to stay in California. Screw you. Screw you, California. If it becomes legalized in the U.S., California residents should be able to play on the U.S. rooms. You should not get in the way of that, and especially not get in the way of that because of your own greed. You want to get in the way of it like Utah might because they just don't, don't want gambling for moral reasons, fine. I mean, I don't agree with that, but fine. At least you're, you're sticking to your morals. At least you're doing it for moral reasons. But if you're doing it for greed, it's much worse. So I hope that bill fails. I hope it's replaced by something much better eventually. It's a very uh, Indian-friendly bill. Before I go into our last two topics, we're kind of running out of time here because I don't want this uh, show to last all night for the reasons I stated earlier. Let me uh, give some tips for this year's World Series, something I keep saying I'll do every week and keep putting off every week. But the World Series is going to be started by the time we uh, have our show next week. I will not have played in any events yet, but there, it will have officially started by May 28th when our next show will take place. So I'm going to give you some tips for the World Series. Now, first of all, uh, where should you stay? A lot of this is dependent upon your bankroll. For, uh, when I say bankroll, I mean uh, how valuable it is for you to stay in a nice place versus a convenient place or a cheap place. Uh, so here's the obvious question: Should you stay at the Rio? How is the Rio? Well, the Rio is not a nice hotel, but it's not a complete dump. You're not going to feel like you're you're staying in a a ghetto Motel Six if you're at the Rio. It's just not a nice, luxurious place. It's not somewhere you're going to feel like it's a a pleasant hotel experience. But it's not terrible. It's it's passable, in my opinion. The best thing about staying in the Rio is that it's convenient. You're in the same place where the World Series of Poker takes place, and when that's the most valuable is for the dinner breaks. If you make a dinner break, which you probably will, it's not very hard to make a day one dinner break, you'll get either 60 or 90 minutes for dinner, depending upon when the event starts. And then day two, I think you always get 60 minutes. The problem with these dinner breaks is that, um, especially if you don't want to eat, there's just not that much to do. It's boring to just sit and sit and sit and wait for everything to start. And in fact, it can be stressful to have to sit around, especially if you're not, you know, if none of your friends or acquaintances you want to hang out with are around. So you really can't find anyone to hang out with. You're just going to be sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Um, you know, either eating by yourself in a restaurant, or, or getting some of the crappy fast food at the World Series of Poker little poker kitchen, and you'll you know, you'll eat that. and You'll be sitting there then for another hour, going, okay, what the hell do I do? And in the meantime, you, you'll kind of feel tilted. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I I felt this myself. You're you're kind of going to feel antsy. You're going to feel anxious, especially if you you finish the last level on a bad note. Let's say you lost a big pot in the very last hand before the level ended, and then and then you have to go to dinner. The last thing you want is to just, just sit there and stare at the wall. While you wait for everything to start up, sit there bored. It's just you're going to come back. You're not going to play as well. So the good thing about the Rio is you can go back up to your room and relax. There, there's no difficulty with, with, with fighting traffic to get back to your hotel or, or whatever. You can just walk up to your room and relax. Now I would suggest you stay in the Ipanema Tower. There's two towers at the Rio. There's the Ipanema Tower and the Masquerade Tower. The Ipanema Tower is the closer one to the Rio not to the real, to, I mean, to the real convention area where the World Series of Poker is. Uh, it'll take probably five minutes longer to walk back to the Masquerade Tower. and it's, Five minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but when you only have a break of uh, 60 or 90 minutes, you know minus whatever you spend actually eating, uh, five minutes is actually a lot. So, um, I, also if you need to run up to your room for any reason on one of the shorter breaks, like a 20-minute break, you can actually do it at the Ipanema Tower, where, where the Masquerade Tower, you just wouldn't have time. So I would suggest staying in the Ipanema Tower. Uh, the Masquerade Tower is a little bit newer, and it's more renovated, but the Ipanema the Tower really is not that different. I've stayed in both. Uh, I actually like the Ipanema Tower better in some ways because it's less noisy, and and I really don't see all that much difference in the way the room looks. Both rooms kind of look like they're out of the 90s and haven't really been updated. You know, it has a, like, cheap granite that was getting very popular in the 90s and both hotels and apartment buildings. And, yeah, it's got a very 90s look there. Got one of those cabinets with a TV inside. Instead of just, like, a flat screen on the wall, you've got, like, a cabinet. You know what I'm talking about. But stay in the Ipanema Tower, and um, you'll be pretty close to the action. Go back to your room and relax. Lay down in a bed if you want to. You know, get on your computer, watch TV. It's a big difference to be relaxing in your room, waiting for a break to be over, than sitting around in, uh, you know, just in the hallway or wherever you would be during these long breaks. Now, if you really don't like the Rio, some people call what happens to them after staying too long at the Rio, Rio Tilt. Another place you can stay is Caesars. Uh, It's a little bit more expensive, but uh, Caesars is the nicest of all the Caesars brand hotels. And it's considerably nicer than the Rio. The, the problem with Caesars is it's uh, the self-parking is very far from where the rooms are, and especially the nicer rooms. And uh, if you valet, there can often be a big line, and even if you, even if you have a seven-star or diamond card, it can still take a long time to valet. There is a back way to go between Caesars and the Rio, Uh, You don't have to get on the Strip. You can actually uh, go towards uh, Frank Sinatra Boulevard. And if you look at a map, you can see the way you can kind of wind around to the Rio and get very quickly between the two of them. Kind of cross under the freeway in this weird way that mostly only locals know about. So you consult a map or PM me if you need the information if you stay at Caesars. Uh, What about other hotels not owned by Caesars? You know, they're of varying quality. Uh, some you can get to, again, without having to drive on the Strip, which is always nice, like the Cosmopolitan, which is a pretty nice place, but expensive. You can, uh, go that same back way, not the same way, but a a similar back way through, uh, Industrial Road to get back to the Rio. But again, all these take a little time to drive, even Caesars, which is the closest. And, uh, you know, I would just look for the best buy. I wouldn't waste a lot of money because it really adds up. Unless you're going to be there a very short time, I wouldn't be spending $200 a night or 150 a night on a hotel room. It really adds up. And even if you have an edge on the field, you're probably, it's probably going to kill you in whatever EV you're getting over the field if you spend too much on staying in Vegas. Now, what about uh, during breaks, going to the bathroom, things like that? Well, I would recommend... That uh, if you're in a big field event, and I mean like one of those big no-limit events which has uh, 2,000 people, 3,000 people, whatever, I would recommend watching the clock, and if you have to go to the bathroom, watching the clock, and unless you happen to be involved in a hand that runs through the break, like let's say you're dealt a hand with five seconds left and then you play it and you play three minutes into the break, then there's nothing you can do. But if you folded your hand, get ready to pop up out of your seat and actually run to the hallway. You may think you look like a dork doing this, and you probably will, but uh, you will beat the crowd, and you will get into the bathroom first. Otherwise, these huge lines will develop, and even if you try to walk further to the the bathrooms that are further away, you'll still have these huge lines. So uh, if you want to avoid the bathroom lines, that's what I suggest. Just watch the clock, and as it ticks to zero, or even before it ticks to zero, and you know you folded and the next hand won't start in time, uh, then just run over there. And you may feel like a fool doing it, but you'll feel like less of a fool when you get to piss and wash your hands and get out of there right away, rather than uh, having to stand on a a line that may actually be so long you won't get back in time. I've actually seen where people go to break, go to a bathroom, stand on line, just piss, wash their hands, go back, and the 20 minutes have passed and they've already missed hands. So don't miss hands. Uh, Let me give you another tip about not missing hands during the World Series. First of all, register for events the night before. Never register the same day. Now, I suppose if you get up at like 8 in the morning, sure, you can register the same day, but I mean, don't show up, like let's say you're playing a noon event. Don't show up at uh, 11.50 and expect to be there on time. There may be a huge line. Now, if you have a diamond card or, or a seven-star card, you can actually use the diamond registration and uh, and stand in a shorter line, but sometimes those lines are long, too. Uh, I'll even give you a tip that sometimes you can get into that diamond room if you're not a diamond member, but uh, they have security guards checking that nowadays, so you usually can't. But uh, I would register just the night before. Uh, Usually the lines are pretty short at night, but they're very, very big right before the events. Even if you're playing an event that's not going to have a lot of people, let's say you're playing some stud event, and you go, oh, you know, we're only going to get 200 people, so I I can register at the last minute. No, because you may be competing for registration with other events that are much bigger. And you guys all use the same line. So I would register the night before, and if it's the night before the really big event, like a a huge field event, let's say the the Millionaire Maker event, the number 6, the first one I'll be playing, that's going to have a gigantic field. Probably 3,000 each day. 6A, 6B. So, if you show up the night before to register, there's probably going to be still a, a gigantic line. So I would show up either super late at night, like 3 in the morning, or do it the day before that. So... The Millionaire Maker event, for example, June 1st, I wouldn't register on May 31st, or if you do, I would actually do it earlier in the day. But don't show up at, at 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. to register for the uh, Millionaire Maker. There'd probably be a huge line. May 30th, there there'll probably be a very small line. So if you're going to be playing an event the next day that's going to have a huge field, I would advise registering at least two days in advance. And if you can't, then register very, very late at night to miss the line. Now, uh, let me uh, get to my next suggestion here. I'm just trying to do this off the top of my head. I didn't really write them all out. Uh, As far as tipping goes, of course, tipping is a personal matter. I'm not going to tell you guys how to tip, but uh, I'm going to give you the information you can make your own decision. Caesars takes money out of every prize pool for a tip. You have already tipped the dealer as soon as you've registered for the event. Whether you've won or lost, you've already tipped. So when you win, they're going to ask, do you want to leave a tip for the dealer? They're often not going to tell you, you've already left a big tip for the dealer. Or I wouldn't say a big tip, you've already left a tip for the dealer. You should find out, and you can see this on, on a little sheet of paper they distribute for every event, but if, if you can't find the paper, then just ask someone what percentage is held out for the tournament staff. And they will tell you what percentage, and then you'll know what percentage tip you've already left. And then from that point, you can see if you want to add to that amount of, uh, of money and you want to tip that amount. You know, So so I, I don't know what they're giving to the staff this year because they, they hold out like 10% of the prize pool from the smaller events, which is you know, a lot. But um, they don't give that 10% to the staff. They, they keep a lot of it and they only give, uh, I, I don't know what percentage to the staff, 2%, 3%, whatever. So find out whatever percentage they gave to the staff and then give whatever you feel is right. Maybe it's zero, maybe it's one, whatever. Don't feel pressured to have to leave a full 3% tip. 3% was, last I heard, the industry standard for tipping when you cash. So let's say you find out that they're giving 2.5% already out of your your buy-in as a tip to the staff. You may feel funny then leaving an additional tip of 0.5% cuz it'll be very small. Especially if you cash like, you know, $4,000, you may feel weird uh, leaving a tip like like 20 bucks, which is uh, you know, which is 0.5%. You may feel like a cheapskate, you may feel like less of a cheapskate to, to leave nothing. And if that's true then don't. And yeah, then, then leave nothing. But don't feel pressured to leave another 3% or another, you know, greater percentage just because you're afraid it'll look weird uh, because you're you're just evening it out with what you'd normally give if they didn't withhold anything. you know, just, just figure out beforehand what you think is right to give as a tip, what percentage you feel is right, find out how much of a percentage of tip is already left to the dealers, and then leave the difference. That's the right thing to do. And that, that's what I would do, as far as tipping goes. Uh, let me uh, give you suggestions as far as people buying pieces of you. If, if you're backed in some way, make sure that before you give anyone money, if you cash, that you get their tax information. Now, if it's a small cash, you don't have to hassle people for you know their tax information. You, you know, the, in those cases, you can just uh, eat their taxes or, or, or have them give you a little bit of you know, rough money to cover the tax burden. But if you cash something big, let's say you owe some guy $30,000 Means you cashed big and he backed you for a good deal in the event. Don't feel the necessity, you know, don't give them the money first and then later ask them to give you the money back for the taxes or to give you the, their, their info or social security number so you can uh, send them the form uh, so they can uh, submit to the IRS for their taxes. You know, don't Don't do that. Make sure to get their tax information before you pay them. And if they refuse to give it to you, don't pay them because it's only fair. You shouldn't be paying anyone's taxes. And the truth is you will be responsible for the entire tax burden unless you submit these forms to these people and to the IRS with their social security number and with other relevant information, you know, to prove that, uh, that they, that the burden is on them to pay it and that they receive the money from you. Otherwise you'll have to pay their taxes and you may have a hard time proving that you gave the money to them, especially if you just hand it to them in cash. So document everything the whole way, if it's a large payment. Otherwise, you may get screwed tax-wise. The IRS will come after you. Uh, As far as play during the World Series, I'll tell you what I've noticed, especially at a lot of these uh, lower buy-in, no-limit events. When I say lower buy-in, I I don't mean low, because obviously $1,000 is not a small amount of money, nor is uh, $1,500. That's a lot of money to some people. And, you know, these are not small tournaments. They're just small compared to the bigger buy-in events. But uh, if you're playing one of those events, you're going to have a lot of novices in the field. And uh, first of all, yes, you should stereotype people. When I say stereotype people, I don't mean in a bad way where you look down on people for their race or, or things like that. But it is true that certain groups of people in general, of course, there's always exceptions, are better than others at poker. For example, a guy, you know, you see a young white or Asian guy at the table who looks, you know, he's 25 years old, he's probably pretty good. He may not be good. He may suck. But there's a good chance he's one of these really good online players that you've never heard of and and is really, really an excellent tournament player. So I'd watch out for these guys. I I wouldn't play scared against them, but I I would say when I see someone like that at the table, I assume first they're good and and watch their play to see if they really are. However, if I see a middle-aged man Especially like a middle-aged white man who's 50 years old or so. Uh, He just kind of has a look of him as like a casual player. He probably sucks. He probably isn't that good. He's probably very straightforward. He's probably not going to bluff you very much. He probably doesn't really know what he's doing. He's probably much worse of a player than you are. Again, there's exceptions. There's been guys, I look at them and say, oh, I bet this guy sucks, and it turns out they're really good. But that's, again, the exception, not the rule. Let me tell you who almost always sucks. Middle-aged white women. You have a, a woman, or even older white women, you have a woman who's over 40 at your table, especially if she's white, especially if you don't recognize her. She's probably terrible. She's probably super straightforward. She'll probably never bluff. She's probably super loose passive or, or tight passive. Very easy to play against. Um, I've had one of these at my table just about every main event I've played for the last several years, and I love having these women at the table. Uh, you know, I, 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 there are some great female poker players like Vanessa Selps, uh, but there are a lot of terrible ones. And, uh, you know, that's not to say these women are bad people or, or that they're not smart or they're not capable in other areas of life, but, uh, you know, I've noticed that the middle-aged white woman is typically not a good poker player, and they, a lot of them are playing at surprisingly high buy-in events, like the main event of the World Series. So you see someone like that at the table, you, you should uh, you should bluff them a lot more. You should be a lot more aggressive with them, and you, and you should take their raises very seriously. I remember... Uh, At the main event a few years ago, I had uh, pocket queens as an overpair against a semi-short-stacked woman who was about 50 years old. And uh, the board was like jack-nine-three with two spades, and I had pocket queens. Well, against one of these wild internet kids, they could have anything there. They could have queen-ten, they could have spades, there's so many things they could have had that they'd be raising me with, and I, I couldn't lay down my, my queens. It'd be very tough to lay down. Well, against these, uh, this woman, she went all in when I bet against her on the flop. And I'm like, shit, she's got to have a set. And I knew she wouldn't even have jack-nine because I, she like flatted me pre-flop, and I knew she was too tight from watching her play to flat jack-nine. So I knew she must have had a pocket pair, like nines or threes, and then she probably flopped a set, and now I'm probably drawing to two outs. So I thought about it, I threw my hand away, it was near the end of the day. After the day was over, I asked her. I said, what did you have there? She said, I had a set of threes. I, I fully believe her. That was an easy laydown to make because of who was against. So you got to think about that. when you, you know, It's not like playing online where you can't really see the people you're playing against. Here you can make definite conclusions and stereotypes from the people you're playing against, and you can verify these stereotypes after only a short time at the table with them. Uh, there are people who are hard to guess you know, what their play style will be. Like, like an Asian man who's, who's 50 years old. That can be anything. It can be terrible. It can be okay. It can be good. You never know. Uh, But you just have to go with your gut. When you see a person, what they look like, and how you would picture them as a poker player, you're usually right. You can say it's discriminatory. You can say it's racist. You can say it's ageist, whatever. You're usually right. Sometimes you're wrong. You're usually right. So, So assume what your gut says about that person from the way they look. And then watch the, how they play to see if you're right. And if you watch how they play and it seems to match what you assumed, then definitely assume that's the truth. And uh, and I've used that in many events. Now let me uh, let let me tell you about uh, how you should act with these players. Let's say you do see a player who who isn't very good. I've had a lot of players, you know, recreational players at the table next to me, especially the ones sitting next to me. And you know, first of all, you should talk to them and be nice to them. And um, you know, be a pleasant person to be with at the table because they're going to do you favors. That You're not going to ask them for favors, but like, uh, if, if a recreational player is sitting next to you and he's got a hand against you and you make a big laydown against him, he'll probably tell you what he had just because he feels it's a friendly and nice thing to do. Now, I wouldn't suggest you ever do that because when you sit at a poker table at the World Series of Poker and plunk down a minimum of $1,000, you should be playing to win. You, should be, you shouldn't be cheating. You shouldn't be uh, angle shooting. But uh, you should be playing to win. You shouldn't go easy on anyone because uh, you need every chip you can get because no one, you know, it's hard enough to win these things without doing that. So you should really be playing your hardest against everyone, no matter how nice they are and no matter how much you like them. But uh, sometimes they won't play as hard as they can against you. They'll just think that the right thing to do, the nice thing to do, the social thing to do is to tell you, when you make a big laydown, what they really had, or even show you. And, and you should encourage that. And, and, and you should uh, say nice hand. And, and you should make them feel good about how they showed you. And in fact, sometimes you can show them at times that you don't mind showing them. In fact, you should show them more when you really have something, than, of course, than when you don't. Don't make a player like that think you're bluffing them, or they're not going to be so nice to you anymore. So like when a guy shows me when I make a laydown, or at least I pretend to make a laydown, Vanessa Russo style, and and, and throw a hand away that I've been bluffing with the whole way Um, and and then he shows me what he really had Um, you know I I, I try to make him believe I had a real hand the whole way and I I don't ever show him bluffs but what I would show him is like if he makes a lay down against my set I'll show him my set occasionally just to keep him thinking that we're showing each other our hands I I wouldn't make an agreement with someone hey we're going to show each other our hands first of all that's that's not allowed in the rules Uh, but second that's dishonest but, uh, you know, if, if he's showing you a few hands, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be against showing the person a few hands of your own when you really have something. So he has the belief that, uh, you know, that you're not bluffing him. And there's nothing wrong about that. That's just, that's just strategy. And, uh, you know, as long as you're not making an agreement and, and breaking it, uh, these are strategies to uh, keep the players thinking you're not bluffing them when you really are. So uh, I would keep the recreational players on your side. I would keep them liking you. Definitely never go off on them if they put a beat on you. For several reasons. Just make it pleasant for them. And um, keep it as friendly as possible, because you'll get a lot of uh, advantages. Also, listen to the table talk. I've had guys next to me just, like, criticize the play of other people at the table. So... I have someone like I'll see someone go in for a monster stack of chips and then flip over ace king and and be up against aces or kings or something. And then the guy next to me go, oh, my God, I would never do that with ace king. If I if I had ace king there, I would have mucked that when he four bet. You know, and, and they'll be telling the truth. They wouldn't be saying that to like level me there. They're telling me the truth of how they play it, how they'd really be playing ace king. So I think to myself, OK, well, you know, if this guy four bets me, <laughs> then I'm going to I'm going to throw my hand away because I know he's got better than Ace King. Like I listen to these things because they, these guys are usually telling you the truth. And that's why it's important to make conversation with them. And, and I, you know, I don't try to pry, pry info out of them. I, tr- I don't try to say, so what would you have done with Ace King? They're like, well, they volunteer it and often just to show off how, how they're better players than the people who 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 made what they see as mistakes. Or I, I've had guys tell me that they don't bluff. No, I don't like bluffing. No, I, I I always find when I'm bluffing, uh, I get called anyway, so I don't like bluffing. I, I have guys telling me that, and I watch how they play, and they really don't bluff. Great, okay, so now I know when you're raising me, you got a real hand. These are edges you need when you're playing the World Series. So, uh, Jstat, who's in the chat, Uh, Who's a a, a guy In his late 50s I think Has been saying that uh, um, He hopes I'm at his table So he could trick me like this And uh, make me think he's just one of these Recreational uh, 50 year old players But okay Jay Stan, if you're at my table, I realize that some of the listeners here are going to use these things against me. I, I'm always afraid to give these tips because I play myself, and then I'm afraid one of these people who I don't recognize, of course, because I, I obviously don't know all the listeners of the show, that they'll use these tricks against me. I'll be up against some like random 50 year old dude who hears me saying this and starts bluffing me like crazy, and and tricking the hell out of me. But if you do, congratulations, and that's a, a little benefit you get from listening to this show. But fortunately, the fields are pretty big, and I probably won't run into many of you. At least many of you I won't recognize. So uh, that, that's definitely one of my play tips. And uh, as far as what events to enter, uh, let me give you a little tip as far as that. The magic number for where the players become better is 2,500. I don't think there's any $2,000 events this year. I think they eliminated those. But an event that's a $1,000 buy-in and $1,500 buy-in tends to have much, much worse players on the average than events that are 2,500 and up. The uh, the only exception to this is the main event, because the main event, because of all the publicity surrounding it, because of the uh, prestige it has, everyone wants to play it, so you get a lot of recreational players in the main event. And of course you will with that gigantic field. There's no way you're going to have 7,000 great players in the event. But uh, all the other big buy-in events are pretty tough. And while you don't have a full field of experts, it's still, they still have a lot of really good players and not that many recreational bad players I don't know why 2500 is the threshold between a tough field and an easy field but it tends to be and it has been like this for years so a 2500 hundred dollar event and a 1500 hundred dollar event will have a huge difference typically in the quality of players you'll see in the field so if you're looking for an event to play and only have a limited budget of which ones to enter I would definitely stick to more of the smaller events I also feel that the $1,000 no-limit events are too much of a crapshoot. You only start with 3000 in chips, and while that's uh, deep enough for the first two levels or so, once the blinds go up, that's just not deep enough, and, and if you don't get up to a good start, you're in big trouble. And uh, you're not going to have much of a chance of even cashing in the event. It's very frustrating to sit there, and because you don't get that many hands in, because it's live poker, it's very frustrating to sit there with 3,000 starting chips, getting dealt Jack Four offsuit all the time, don't get to play any hands. Come into level four with 2,900 chips, and everybody around you's got these big stacks, and you you feel like you're impotent. You feel like there's nothing you can do. And sure enough, uh, you know you either get run off every time you raise, or you you know you finally have a good hand and uh, and and raise it and go all in, and you either run into a better hand or uh, get sucked out on, and it's over. Or even if you do double up, then you're still way behind everybody. I would stay away from those $1,000 buy-in events because there's just not enough chips to start with, and if you don't get off to a great start, you're in trouble. I would suggest the $1,500 events, There's, they're much better because you start with 4,500 chips, and there's a world of difference between 4,500 and 3,000 uh, in these events. So I, I've actually given up on the $1,000 events. I'm only playing 1,500s this year in, in No Limit. So uh, what about the specialty games? What about games like Stud, Omaha? Uh, You may expect that these events would be easy because if you're good at those games, you'll be up against a bunch of Hold'em players who suck. Well, in previous years that might have been true, but uh, these events are shrinking and have more and more specialists and fewer and fewer players who are just uh, playing casually. So if you enter a stud event, you're probably going to have mostly stud players who are all pretty good at stud. you enter an Omaha event, you're probably going to have the same thing. You will have some people who suck at the events and who are Hold'em players who are just taking a shot. Uh, just like I find that in limit Hold'em events, uh, I, I see that there are some no-limit players that enter the field, even in the 5,000 limit, and who are not very good. But uh, I also see a lot of specialists, a lot of limit Hold'em all-stars, and you will see this in all of the non-no-limit Hold'em events. So be prepared. Don't think this this is going to be a free ride to the final table. It's going to be anything but that, especially in recent years when there's been a a smaller field of casual players in these events. Um, In general, I would say that uh, at the World Series, most people are pretty straightforward. When they represent a hand, they usually have a hand. Is there bluffing? Of course there's bluffing. Of course people will go all in against you, with draws with nothing, I've seen crazy things happen. I've even seen crazy where people uh, go all in against me or people make a big raise against me. I go all in against them. They call and they flip over some terrible hand that I can't believe they didn't just muck it when I went all in against them. But, you know, I've seen some weird things like that. But for the most part, when someone represents a hand, they have it. When someone's playing like they've probably flopped a set, they probably did. Uh, you have to, of course, base it upon the player you're up against, but don't don't obsess with catching bluffs. Don't obsess with hero calls. For the most part, it's better to lay down the hands than to try to catch bluffs and catch, uh, uh, you know, draw raises. You know, even if you think someone's shoving on you with a draw and you have an okay but not great hand, remember, even if you're right, you've still got to dodge the draw. So, and there's a good chance you're wrong and they're ahead of you. I'm not saying to play scared and lay down every time someone raises you, but uh, be aware that, uh, especially if you're more of an online tournament player, that there's a lot less bluffing at the World Series. And I've watched a lot of great online tournament players just chunk off their chips at the World Series not understanding this. Either, uh, you know, like I've seen people with ace-queen offsuit pre-flop who raise, someone three-bets them, who's a tight player, and they shove on the person and the person's like, uh, all right, I call, and then turns over kings, and then you know, the Ace Queen loses, and there goes the, a mountain of their chips. Don't do that. Don't throw away a, a mountain of chips on Ace Queen preflop. It's uh, usually if somebody's gonna go in big against you, they, they've got Ace Queen crushed. So uh, you should tend to believe people with their raises more at the World Series than you would online especially casual players. Keep in mind the main event if you play that uh, a lot of people are very afraid to bust in the main event because they put up $10,000 because it's a once-in-a-year the year, once a year opportunity for many people. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If someone got their once-in-a-lifetime seat to the main event, they don't want to throw their money away on a dumb bluff at the beginning of the tournament, even in the middle of the tournament. So those type of players definitely believe them definitely take their raises more seriously. And definitely re- realize a lot of people play pretty scared. And also realize that if you're betting aggressively, that sometimes people are playing passively because they're playing so scared, and just because they don't have the nuts at the moment, they may just call you down. You may think you have the best hand, and then your value bet will actually be an anti-value bet. So watch out with the overvalue betting too. Except in Limit Hold'em where value betting is important. But even there, be careful how you put your chips out. Um, as far as behavior at the World Series, uh, they hand out penalties fairly easily. I made a, uh, a stupid mistake at day six of the main event that I really regretted. I got a 20-minute penalty for exposing cards, uh, because I thought it folded around to my big blind, so I just wanted to show that I had a crappy hand. I just turned over, like, 60s offsuit or something. Uh, it turned out that, uh, there was a raise and a call. I thought it was raised full 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 to me in which is fine to expose your, expose your hand it was actually raised call and then back to me and I showed my hand which is technically a violation of the rules and and one of the people at the table reported this which pissed me off because you know it was clear I didn't do this on purpose and I got a 20 minute penalty and I was I wasn't uh, I didn't have that many chips this is on day six of the main event so it was very damaging to me so just be careful not to accidentally expose your hand um, you're allowed to say the word "fuck. But you can't direct it at other players. So be careful that uh, even if you're arguing with someone, that you don't uh, use profanity at them. And uh, don't throw cards. You can get a penalty for that. Don't act out of turn. Just be careful to follow the rules. You don't want a 20-minute penalty. Uh, It it may really kill you. So... um, One other thing about the World Series, uh, Doyle Brunson will not be playing at the World Series. Uh, I don't know if this is the reason, but he tweeted, Afraid I'm finally going to give into to Father Time and pass on tournament play at the World Series. Hashtag too many hours. This might be true. Uh, I think Doyle is 78. Uh, he rides around in, in one of those... Uh, uh, motorized wheelchairs uh, he's probably not in the best health so maybe he can't handle these 14 hour days of play maybe Doyle feels he's done enough and doesn't really want to play these long days of the World Series so this could be for other reasons but that's, that's his claim let's take a look at the World Poker Tour before I uh, close out my final topics and, uh, and the show Eight players remaining. Daniel Negreanu still staying the short stack, but not busting. He's eighth. Number one, Chino Ream, 4.8 million. Number two, Eric Lindgren with 2.5 million. Jonathan Roy still third with slightly under 2 million. So our two scammers there, holding strong. All right, so if I think of any other tips of the World Series, I'll tell you guys next week. Uh, I want to touch on two things quickly before finishing. The company behind the Table Ninja software has pulled a bait and switch. Something I hate is when a company says something has a lifetime guarantee and then finds ways to worm out of the lifetime guarantee. Now, I'm realistic. I know a lifetime guarantee doesn't mean your lifetime. I, I know if a company releases a product, that doesn't mean if I'm alive 50 years later and they're still in business that uh, I can find some way to have them support a product that was gone. 40 years ago. But they've also got to be reasonable. And when they say lifetime guarantee, they, they've they got to keep to that as much as they can and not try to find ways to uh, extract more money out of people or not honor the guarantee. Uh, this was posted by a forum member named uh, Aaron Mike Hunt. And uh, he says this Not as big as some other scams, but thought it deserved attention. The program Table Ninja, which is an additional piece of poker software run with Hold'em Manager just released a new version with a monthly subscription price. Besides their price being insanely high, they announced they are discontinuing service on their main original service, which was promised a lifetime guarantee. A rep tried to spin their lifetime guarantee as this. So he wrote to them complaining about this, saying, uh, hey, I bought your software that didn't have a monthly subscription that had a lifetime guarantee to be supported, and that now you're discontinuing this product and making a similar product with a monthly subscription. Uh subscription. What, what's up? And this is what the guy said back to him, from uh, the company that that produces Table Ninja. Hi. It is pretty standard in the software industry for one-time purchases to have a lifespan. While we have done our best to accommodate users who have purchased later in that lifespan with options to get a refund for users purchasing after February 5th, and also free months if you choose to upgrade, we are sympathetic to people who have had less time than others, and if you feel your case needs attention, we will certainly be happy to discuss it, so you can email support at TableNinja.com. Basically, it's a... So he's saying basically it's a money grab. The original users paid a one-time fee and owed no more payments, that they were supposed to have lifetime support of the product. And then uh, they add a feature or two, call it brand new, and go from charging a one-time $60 fee to a $20 monthly fee and tell you that the original software will no longer work. That's a basic summary. Uh, there is some discussion about this on 2plus2. Uh, also on this site on Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum here. And uh, while not everybody agrees with my Hunt, I agree with him. If they promise a lifetime guarantee, then the product does not have a quote, lifespan, as this rep said. Uh, You have to continue supporting that software for quite some time, especially if you're releasing a very similar piece of software with one or two new features. Uh, And and if people bought in previously with uh, a lifetime guarantee, and if you really want to retire the old software and not support it anymore, then give people free upgrades to the new one and grandfather them into a free subscription lifetime. Don't just tell them tough luck. We don't care what we said about a lifetime guarantee. We're we're ending this piece of software and starting a new, very similar one with a monthly subscription fee and tough luck. And, and maybe we'll give you a little money off on the subscription. I mean, that's a joke. So that, that's a, that's a scam as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, that's a bait and switch. And, uh, I, I would seriously not want to be uh, supporting table ninja. If this is what they're doing. And if you can find other software packages that uh, do the same thing, uh, or do without it, I, I would do that because, uh, that's really crappy and that's very dishonest and that's uh, very unethical before I forget I, I want to quickly touch on the uh, th- there's a thread started by Zeelandonk Donk on poker fraud alert that he's asked me to promote and it's about me so I shouldn't mind promoting it I don't mind, mind promoting it uh, in fact I want to talk about the world series of poker forum there's a forum called world series of poker at this part of Poker Fraud Alert. And uh, you can both find the old World Series of Poker forum of the 2012 version in that forum as a sub-forum. And I will have threads for several of the World Series events. Not every event like I did last year is too much work because a lot of them don't get posted on. But uh, I'll create a thread for every event which I'll be playing, and uh, I'll be doing a hashtag PFA and the event number. So, for example, on uh, event number 6, which I'll be playing... Uh, I'll be doing a hashtag PFA06, which will automatically post updates to the World Series of Poker Forum on PokerFraudAlert.com in the event number six thread. And if you're going to be playing an event, first of all, anybody who's playing in the events, I am, you can definitely use that same hashtag and have your stuff posted there automatically. Uh, but uh, if you're playing an event I'm not playing, then make sure to let me know and I will create a thread for you so you can tweet and auto-post on Poker Fraud Alert you know, through your tweets, just with that hashtag. Uh, but there's a separate post that's made in the World Series of Poker forum called, Which Event Will Dref Have His Best ROI in World Series of Poker 2013? And he has uh, posted all the different events I'll be playing. Uh, event number 6, the 1500 No Limit Hold'em Millionaire Maker. The event 10, 1500 Limit Hold'em, the event 37, 5000 Limit Hold'em, the event number 40, 1500 No Limit Hold'em, the event 45, the anti-only No Limit Hold'em, the $2500 Limit Hold'em 6 Max, the $1500 No Limit Hold'em, event number 49, or the main event, event number 62. Right now the leader, people think I'll do the best in the $5000 Limit Hold'em, people think that I will, uh, Make up for what happened last year where I bubbled the event. I was the stone bubble boy, 19th place, losing four hands in a row to bubble the event. Very frustrating. It was the first event I played last year. They think I'll do better this year in cash. I appreciate the faith. Uh, Tied in a three-way tie for second. The Millionaire Maker, the 1500 ante only, and the main event. Everything else, nobody thinks I'm going to (laughs) cash. But... uh, Go ahead and vote on that. If you haven't seen it, it's the World Series of Poker Forum. Which event will Druff have his best ROI? No prize for getting it right, but just uh, you know, throw in your vote of where you think I'll do the best, and we'll see if uh, I live up to what the public thinks. Okay, so uh, moving on to the, our final topics here tonight, before I shut this thing down. I hope Ben's mom's not too mad at me. I told her I'd rush through the show. It's been over two hours. It's been almost three hours. I feel kind of bad. Um, More Games that's M-O-O-R-E part of the iPoker network has gone completely offline. It's, it's got a real sordid story to it. Let me tell you what happened with More Games really quickly. Uh, More Games was part of the iPoker network and if I already don't like this network because uh, they hired Paul Leggett, former UBCOO who helped cover up all the cheating. Uh, but, uh, if you go to moregames.com, it's M-O-O-R-E games.com, you'll get an error message about a database error. So the whole thing is down. Here's the timeline of what happened there. In July, 2012, uh, they went offline and they, the CEO named Samir Mujakic claimed that they were unfairly kicked off the iPoker network and, and that, uh, Playtech, the company that behind iPoker would not tell them why they were kicked off. They just got kicked off and, and with no explanation. Uh, Playtech would not comment to anybody about it, not even the media, but uh, there's rumors that they got kicked off for having too many players colluding, too many players with some some kind of fraud going on, and allowing players to play on the network while they're in the U.S. because this was a non-U.S. only network, and apparently during the World Series there were accusations that uh, more games was allowing players on their skin to play despite hailing from the U.S. None of this was confirmed, but these were rumors as to why more games was kicked off the iPoker network. Now, Games was claiming that they want to cash everybody out since getting kicked off, but they couldn't because Playtech was holding their money. Well, about a month and a half later, it came out in August 2012 that Playtech wasn't holding all their money, but Playtech does hold a small portion of their money because all the skins on the network have to reconcile with each other at the end, depending on which player's skins beat the others. So Playtech was holding money that was owed to More, uh, this reconciliation money that was owed to them uh, for that particular month. While they were uh, figuring everything out Playtech announced in late August That this money was released Or sorry, more announced that the money was released By Playtech And that they're going to reopen their cashier For players to cash out So while they weren't going to continue offering games That you couldn't still play poker on more games You could either cash out or you could continue playing On their sportsbook or casino Which remained open That was back in August of 2012 Well here we are uh, about uh, Nine months later And more games is, again, completely offline. This time, no good reason for it. They're just gone. Players are still owed money. People in the sportsbook are complaining. No word is given why this has happened or how or when the players will get paid. So I think if you had money on more games, you probably have less money. (laughs) So you can kiss it goodbye. They just went down for no reason. And That reason is probably that they're broke. In general, you are a fool if you play on any sports book or casino that is small. In fact, you're a fool to play on any casino games online because they can be easily rigged. And if you're going to bet on sports, make sure it's with a big, reputable sports book, not one of these small fly by night operations. You wouldn't believe how many sports books have cheated people over the years. Uh, it's very, very common to happen where sports books just pack up and disappear online. Much, much worse than poker sites. You think poker sites are shady, you should see the sports book sites. They're, they're like 10 times worse. So uh, only play on online sports books that are big and reputable and that a lot of people have trust in them that have been around forever. Uh, Bodog, Bovada is a good example. So uh, also don't play on skins that are holding the money. So Moore is another example of a skin that was holding the money. So find out from the skin you're playing on if they are holding the money, or if the network's holding the money. If necessary, go on two plus two and ask the question. If necessary, go on poker fraud alert and ask the question. And I'll find out for you. Don't ever play on a skin that's holding your money if it's a small, disreputable skin or or small, unknown skin because they can run off with your money at any time and probably will. So you're really asking for trouble if you do. So this is just one of many cases where that occurs. I think if you uh, have money on more games, it's gone. There's been so many stories like this I can't even count. So, um, I, I would take a River phone call but I just don't have the time tonight. If you want to call in you can feel free to call in next week. There were a few calls, but I, I couldn't take them because I was in the middle of talking about things. And now, now we're pretty much out of time. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining me tonight on uh, Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Sorry, there's no co-host. We'll try to have one next week. And uh, you know, I always appreciate all of our listeners, whether it's uh, live, whether it's uh, archive listeners, whether you listen on Stitcher where you listen on iTunes or just to the archives of this site. You know, I appreciate all of our listeners. And I get emails every week. Every week. From listeners who I've never heard of before. Just ordinary people who listen to the show every week and tell me how much they enjoy it. And I really, really appreciate those emails. Because while I appreciate all of our regulars that I know... It's also nice to get emails from people I didn't know were out there. People who were just listening and just never really said anything, never really posted, but just wanted to let me know that every week they listen to this show and they like the information I have to present and everything else we do here. And that makes me want to keep coming back and doing this every week, even though I make no money. And even though there's not really anything in it for me. It's just a hobby. But it makes me feel good that people enjoy this show, including people I have no idea are even listening so if you see me at the World Series, feel free to come up to me and uh, tell me if you listen to the show. i would be happy to meet you. Don't feel be afraid to come up to me. Always happy to meet new people and fans of this show. Poker Fraud Alert has donated more money to our free rolls than any poker podcast. Or I shouldn't say that we haven't donated. Our users have donated more money in our free rolls than any poker podcast in the world over the past year. We thank our users for that. Thank you for listening. I try to be here every single week, no matter who my co-host is or isn't. Have done that for the past year. Every once in a while, I miss a week. Check the radio schedule, which you can find under the radio tag. uh, Not radio tab, not radio tag. Of Poker Fraud Alert. The modified schedule for the first part of the summer I will be missing some Tuesdays because of playing World Series of Poker events. But I'll be making it up on other days. We'll be doing it every single week and covering all the news that comes out of the World Series and elsewhere in the world of poker. You know if the truth hurts, poker fraudler can be a real pain and I especially can. I'm a real pain in the ass if you're doing something shady and I'm on your case. And I'm proud of that. That's what I'll keep doing on this show. Thank you for listening. Good night. I'll be back next Tuesday, May 28th, 7 p.m. Pacific. Until then, shalom.